the times your gutter just chooses to show itself is really surprising. <laughs> to be able to enter relationships with these beautiful women. That's nice. That's beautiful. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hi, hi, Captain. Potato salad. <laughs> there you go. That sounds like something I should know. It's a Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Oh, okay. We're auditioning for the I was about to I was about to ask if that was down Periscope. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for music video sins, Barrett Cher. Yo, I'll tell right. you what I want, what I really, really want. <laughs> I heard that I was shopping in like a shop and save in Green Bay, and uh, that song was playing. It's, it's the worst grocery store I've ever been in. But that song was Wanna Be was playing, and there was a dude stocking shelves that was fucking working it, man. Yeah, he was like, there you go. I'm telling <laughs> you, when you stock shelves for a living, this is a noble profession, but you jam out to music, right? That's, that's the only saving grace you got. Um, usually you guys are upset about something, so go ahead and, and, uh, bitch. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I'm as mad as hell! You've never seen me very upset. Alright, so I, I shop at, primarily at two grocery stores, Kroger and Publix. This is maybe a middle Tennessee thing, but if you're American, you've probably at least heard of those grocery stores, mm-hmm. even if you don't have them near you. If you go to Ralph's, that's Kroger's. They own like 15 different grocery stores across the country. Big ass. Biggest mm-hmm. grocery company in America. And they have this little Kroger Plus card, right? You're aware of oh, this? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. if, you, if, you, if you swipe that card, you get the yellow sticker price, which is usually a discount from what the plebeian customers that don't have a Kroger Plus card pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Publix doesn't have anything like this. Publix is like, hey, we're more expensive, but we're going to be way more friendly to make up for it. Mm-hmm. But they don't do any of this bullshit about, you know, swipe your card. What Kroger's really trying to do is learn more about you. Mm-hmm. This is common sense. Everyone's doing it now. Starbucks has an app. Duncan has an app. Everybody wants to know what you're buying, where you're going, and they then turn that data around in a bunch of different ways. Uh, Kroger doesn't sell it, but some places will sell that data to companies that can you know, use it for advertising purposes, what have you. Um, <clears throat> Kroger will send you coupons for the things you buy the most. The first time I ever got one of those in the mail, it freaked me the fuck out. Yeah. I was like, oh, how do they know my favorite deodorant? That's disturbing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, ostensibly, this is good for everyone. You get a little bit, you save a little money. Mm-hmm. You also get targeted coupons for things you're going to buy anyway. Yep. And they get a little bit of data to learn more about you. Now, make, make no mistake, the inside of a grocery store is the way it is for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. Everything is where it is so that you will go through the store the route they want you to take. Um, everything is on the end cap it's on because it's supposed to draw your eye here. The products on the middle shelves are there for a reason. The products on the lower sh- everything about the grocery store is is informed by this shopping data. And you know this is inside knowledge. I actually I did actually work for Kroger for a year and yeah, this is this is Definitely true. They Kroger does everything with data, man. They uh. they time how long it takes each cash, cashier to scan every item. Oh shit! And they have a baseline time. So if it's a can of peas, it should be one point one seconds or what have you. And then every order that a cashier scans, the computer spits out a score for how fast they should have scanned it oh. and how fast they did scan it. 
and then you're you're judged as an employee based on how close you get to your ring tender, oh, uh, which is the the maximum. So Kroger loves data. So th- my wife, she loves the Kroger Plus card. She likes coupons. She likes saving money. Fine. Yeah. I don't like it because I don't want them knowing my shit. And I don't want them knowing that I'm in there at 830 in the morning buying three boxes of wine. <laughs> this is my business. Um, so when I go to the grocery with my wife, she will swipe the card. We save a little money. When I go by myself, I don't even have a Kroger Plus card. Mm. I, I don't have one on my key ring and my wallet. I just pay 1% extra. I'm not a special person, right? So a week and a half ago, I'm in Kroger, and I knew we were going to Hamilton. Mm. And I thought there was an outside chance we might park, we might valet park the car. Mm. And so I needed cash. I almost never carry cash, but I'm, I'm at Kroger. I'm like, oh, cash back, cash back. I've done this a thousand times. Mm. And then it says, will you accept the cash back fee of 50 cents? And I went, what? Huh. And I was in kind of a rush, and I was like, fuck it, give me my $5. I accepted the 50 cents, and I moved on. And then two days ago, I, I needed cash for another reason. I forget what it was. I think my wife wanted some cash. Uh, so again, I'm in Kroger, cash back, $20. Will you accept the $50 cash back fee? 50 cent. 50 cent okay. cash back fee. $50. <laughs> now, <clears throat> this made me irate because you're stealing from me now. Yes. This, I gave you $5 of my digital money. You give me $5 of real money, and there's no need for a fee. This is an even exchange here. It's yeah. just like a gift card. I buy a gift card for $50. There's $50 on that gift card. Yeah. And you let you let me swipe it when I come back in because you've already gotten that $50. This is how it works. Yeah. So charging a 50-cent cash back fee is just blatant richieing. It's just blatant stealing from me. Like you don't, there's no credit card processing fee that they have to pay no, above it's and not beyond, like, a, like an out of network ATM or anything like that. No, and yeah. so my first thought was, well, Kroger just got three billion dollars richer with everybody who gets cash back having to pay fifty fucking cents now. So I go googling, and no, they've got a caveat that they think makes this all right. You don't have to pay that fifty cent fee if you swipe your Google Plus card or your Google your Kroger Plus card. <laughs> so if I swipe my plus card and let them know all the data, I don't want them to know. I don't have to pay the 50 cent fee to get cash back. So this is they're essentially now charging me for not being a Kroger Plus customer. That's so yeah. <laughs> 50 cents every time I want cash. Do you realize how much fucking money they're making doing yeah, that? Yeah, that's that's like an office space take the the mm-hmm. last percentage off. Yeah. <laughs> Most people probably don't even you just click a green you see two green buttons you clicked yes already. Here's another <laughs> button. Do you accept the I, I'll just click that green button too. <laughs> Most people may not even know. I went to Publix just to check, not charge any kind of cash back fee for me to get cash back Those at Publix. evil bastards. And I'm I mean, obviously, first world problems. <laughs> I just don't go to Kroger for cash, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's always annoyed me that if I get money out of an ATM that's not my bank's, I have to pay a 2 $3 fee. But at least that makes some measure of sense. Yeah. Hey, you don't bank with us, bitch. But I already shop with you, Kroger. You don't. Why are you taking 50 extra cents? Just because you can. Yeah. Just because yeah. you can. Yeah. And this is a recent phenomenon. <sighs> yeah. Actually, <laughs> what's funny is it's been so long since I got cash at Kroger. This actually started in June. Uh, oh, really? But I only noticed in the last two weeks because I never use fucking cash. Uh, I'm no less angry just because it's been going on for six months already. Yeah, this is it's highway robbery. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it is. And it's like when I go into a, you know how sometimes you go into a, a gas station and they'll have a sign that says you can't use a credit card unless you spend at least five dollars. Yeah, which is technically legal, but it's against the credit card's terms of service. Like mm-hmm. you could probably call Visa and get them in big trouble for doing that because they're not supposed to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, but they don't want to pay. The credit card fee to Visa for running your card 
if the amount is so small, yeah. and so they make you buy like six Slim Jims and a Diet Pepsi and whatnot in order to get enough up there, yeah. this is like that, but worse. But worse. That is. I'm that very is. angry about it. Mm-hmm. I can tell. All right. Your turn. That's crazy. <laughs> Don't get I'm, cash back at Kroger. Fuck them. I'll get cash back at Publix and give them 50 extra cents just to spite Kroger. <laughs> <laughs> and this is all because you don't want them knowing your shit, even though they already know your shit. Generally speaking, yes. I, like when I used to go to Starbucks every day, they would say, I want you to get the Starbucks card. You get come in here every day. You'll get free drinks. And I'm like, listen, I looked at your app and the app wants too many permissions. It wants to know where I am. It wants to read my text messages. It wants to look <laughs> at my fucking pictures. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Now I'm in a new situation. I go to Dunkin' every morning uh-huh. and they started saying, hey, you come in every day. You get the app i looked at the app turned off all permissions no problem no questions asked now i'm saving money at duncan interesting they know what i'm buying yeah they know what time of day they know how frequent yeah but they don't get my pictures and my text messages and my map data god damn it mm-hmm. so anyone who wants to can get a lot of your shit but not all of your shit yeah i mean let's if, if we're being honest it's we can't un fuck this box like it's, it's, it's already all my shit is out there we're just waiting for the day when everyone's shit leaks oh, and thankfully yeah. my shit is pretty tame compared to well at least yours you like clown porn mm-hmm. um yeah. <clears throat> trying but, to think if i've ever seen any clown porn i mean okay so so i was I talking to who was i talking to about this dicer i was talking about um Oh, because he does Amazon, or not Amazon, Google Home. He has Google Home devices. Oh, yeah. He's, he's plugged in. And I'm like, the I don't want to do that. But like, if I want to say something to my wife that I super, super want private, mm-hmm. I'll leave my phone in the other room mm-hmm. and then go tell her in a separate room. I can't do that if there's an always on speaker in the room listening to everything I say. But he was like, you're kind of carrying around an always on speaker as long as your phone's on you. So that's the, that's the only way you can avoid it is put your phone in another room for everything important you want to say. What is, what is so important? Like, you, you're like, I see dead people. Well, no, but the kind of shit that the I kind got. of true personal opinions I wouldn't want advertisers or podcast listeners to know, such as I'm a big <laughs> I almost called myself a bunch of names. No, um, I'm attracted to Ryan. Reynolds. We don't get super political in our sins videos. Mm-hmm. We don't get super political on the podcast. A couple times we got a little political, but mm-hmm. not super. But I, I will say things to my wife that I don't ever want the Internet to get their hands on. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I got you. I got you. I'm just, I'm, I'm paranoid about that stuff. Don't follow me. I don't want you to know my, my information. Yeah. But most of all, if I give you $5, give me $5. Yeah. Not I got you. 450 I got you. Dicks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll go next because you've got an actual movie specific yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, I got a big one. I got a, a small one. Just went, the reason that I'm a little bit hoarse is but just went to Green Bay, Wisconsin Ooh. to see my beloved Packers beat the evil Seattle Seahawks. They are evil. Uh, in a nail-biter of a game, and it was glorious. <laughs> First time at uh, a Packers game, an actual game game, uh, even though we've been up there many times, and first time at a playoff game, and they won, and it was snowing, and it was just like the most magical experience ever. Took my son and my wife, and it was great. Mm-hmm. Except for the fan behavior. Yeah. Now, Green Bay is notoriously known as kind of like a warm, inviting environment. Midwesterners, polite, that kind of thing. And for the most part, they were. And I guarantee you that this is probably the most well-behaved crowd. I'm saying I'm guaranteeing you that it's probably. It's probably one of the most polite crowds 
in professional sports, mm. at least football or something like that. Football has a tradition of people being a little bit rowdy and a little bit drunk and stuff like that. Nowhere near the reputation that European soccer or football or that kind of thing has. But for Americans, it's it's pretty rowdy. The Green Bay game, generally okay. But then around about the third quarter, man, it's fucking this and it's fucking that and fucking fuck and fucking fuck fuck. Fuckity fuck fuck fuckity fuck. Mm. And then they started throwing beads, not like beads for tits or anything like that. <laughs> throwing yeah, yeah, yeah. beads down the thing. Mm-hmm. And Show like, us your tits, Aaron oh, Rodgers. Yeah. But, well, that would make it a lot more palatable. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, and I mean, people are like throwing stuff for bad calls and stuff like that. And it turned into a lot of people, not not the majority or anything like that. But it was like it was a somewhat uncomfortable experience at times, especially when the Seahawks were coming back in that second yeah. half and people were getting pissed off. And I just wondered, I was like, okay, alcohol obviously is the number one culprit yep. for this. But also, have we not evolved past this as as a species of throwing shit down? They're not you're not throwing a, a, a set of beads from section 303 onto the field mm-hmm. you're not fucking getting those beads not near getting the field. there ever you're getting it to row 51 of the the section below you and it's hitting some poor woman in the head or a kid or something like that mm. and they're turning around they're starting to get belligerent at the people behind them and mm. then that person gets belligerent alcohol adds fuel to the fire and it's a whole thing but like come on guys like let's 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 watch an event it's not only sporting events it's it happens at concerts and Mm -hmm. shit like that like let's all when we're all together in 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 concert to to witness an event let's behave ourselves even if you're a little bit tipsy if you're tipsy you should be happy that you're tipsy and that you're at an event and that uh you know you're you're amongst friends and stuff like that everybody else paid to be at that event let's all watch this together it's like those two guys in brokeback mountain they're at the fourth of july thing that mm-hmm. Heath Ledger beats the shit out of. Yeah. And when they're like walking through to their seats, those guys are like, oh, there's lots of good pussy here tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Who does this? I know. Yeah. I will, I, you know, it's, I think people are just used to their home experience where mm. they can just do all the things that they do. They throw stuff around. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, there's a, I was watching the, uh, just before that uh new orleans uh vikings game that mm. played i was watching a bunch of reactions to the stefan diggs touchdown that oh, happened yeah. a couple years ago and uh there was a guy who like had ripped his tv off the wall and threw it off the balcony mm. and that's insane but think about the pent-up frustration that people have when they're at the game and things happen and it's out of their control yeah they have the need to throw things and they forget they're out in public and that they forget that yeah they don't have the arm strength to throw something out onto you know maybe you know sometimes like you know predators game they're throwing the fish out there and they, all get, that. they run down they run and they down fucking there. throw it right over but yeah but you know it's just it's one of those it's one of those where i just think that i think the same the same uh, rule applies to movie theaters people talking yeah. in the movie like oh i do this at home all the time yep they don't think about other people because, oh, well, everybody else does that too, right? So why why should they worry about if I'm talking or not? Yeah, and you know what? I, I'm certainly 
if you've listened to an episode of this, I'm not a prude or anything like that. I have been nuts when watching football games too, at home mostly. I've probably in my earlier years been one of these guys that I'm talking about right now. Uh, and I'm not overly protective of my son's virgin ears or anything like that. Uh, you know, he's 11. He's heard all the fucks and the shits and the, the, the curse words that, mm-hmm. that he can. But, guys, I mean, you, you recognize what's going on. If I see, like, a, a, a little girl in front of me, I'm, I'm going to cool it on the, the fucking this and fucking that. Maybe one will slip out. And I understand that. It is a football game. I understand that. But it's like, man, it was so over the top. I was like, God. Well, that was that's probably the one time at a sporting event that I regret the most. I still think about this all the time. You and I were at that Predators-Penguins-Stanley oh, yeah, Cup yeah, yeah. final yeah, yeah. game. Zero zero all the way through it. And then former Predator Patrick Hornquist <laughs> scores this fucking ridiculous bullshit goal yeah. with like two minutes left. Yeah. And there was a kid behind us. Yeah. And the, the arena's like silent and just like, oh, <laughs> all of that, that pin up. And especially since there was a goal that was disallowed yep. and all this other stuff. And I just remember going, Patrick fucking Hornquist. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't realize that the the girl was behind you though, right? No, I knew because there was because there was some other like activities oh, going yeah, yeah, on yeah. earlier in the game and I I knew yeah. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, having something like that slip out. I totally understand. But that was uh, that's the that was the one thing I was like, man, I'm not like that out in public, but that was that was a moment sure. where I just it, everything yeah. had come out. Problem is there's too many people out there who just think that out out in public is the same as being at home. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just I'm, I'm pleading, and actually for our European listeners, I'm sure you've been to some rowdy hooliganistic like fucking football rugby games and stuff like that, and maybe it's even worse over there. Uh, but here, man, let's all let's all come together. Movie theaters, concerts, uh, sporting events. Let's let's all enjoy the experience. Even if your team's losing, man, root them on. Don't don't be all fucking and throwing and throwing and fucking and stuff like that. Mm, I know, man. Good one. Yeah, Deadspin used to be famous for uh, <coughs> getting uh, reports of people fucking in the stands. I remember those. And uh, there, <laughs> did you see somebody fucking at the game? No, <laughs> but there was one for a Bills game where this woman's leaning over the. <laughs> the the balcony watching the game and there's a dude eating her ass <laughs> yep i remember that <laughs> like, what? i want to know so much about this yeah. like what 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 caused this to happen yeah there's there's definitely <laughs> alcohol involved there yeah. jesus or christ drugs. you gotta yeah. be blackout fucking uh anyway yeah so um, so yeah, uh, I'll rant about the Oscars since the Speaking Oscar, of assholes. Yeah, exactly. Since the Oscars, uh, were announced yesterday. Um, uh, my, my, my rant about the Oscars, like, yes, I could, I could say it's not as inclusive and it's, it's Oscar so white all over again. Mm. And, you know, Cynthia Revo, I believe is the only, uh, person of color to get nominated in the entire acting category. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in in the past, like, look, I'm not the type of person who's like, well, we should just give token nominations and everything. I'm not like that or anything. Although, there, I'm beginning to think maybe we should because 
They give plenty of token nominations to white people. They sure mm-hmm. do. And uh, like, <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at some of these nominees, and I'm like, was Al Pacino's performance in The Irishman one of the top five performances in his category that you saw this year? No. Was it? Was uh, who else was on there? Like, um, they gave Scarlett Johansson two different nominations. I I think I agree with Marriage Story. Yeah. I like Jojo Rabbit, and I think she's really different in Jojo Rabbit. But I don't think it's one of the top five performances of the year that I have seen. And it seemed like this year, more than any other, there were more snubs than I have ever seen in one Oscars. I I mean, seriously, you there's always the like a the two or three or whatever. Yep. Um uh but like this one it seemed like there was a whole there was a whole like you could make a whole other category yep. out of the snubs. Um Jennifer Lopez was one that I was, I mean, kind of surprised that there was so much outrage over. Like, mm. I, I watched Hustlers and thought, wow, she was really good in that. But I wasn't thinking, oh, she'll get nominated for an Oscar for this or right. anything like that. But she had been nominated for everything, I think, leading up to the Oscars and then didn't get a nomination. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o for us, yep. mm-hmm. probably the most difficult and most unbelievable performance of the year not nominated yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, this, this, i'm not giving out token nominations here this is think, somebody who should be in the fucking race yep do you think had it come out later i mean you can't really say that because get out came around out around yeah. uh, february and it got all the oscar love yeah, just, not all the oscar but, love, but get out had the the sort of the staying power and it had critics who came yeah. us the people were a little bit down on us yeah even though i think for the most part people liked it yeah but you can't deny how good she was oh, in that she's fantastic uh anna de armas for no, knives so, out yep that's another one that just i it scratches my i now in 2016, I think we even uh, commented on this in our in our in the Sincast. They started making new rules where you had they wanted to double the number of women and people of color by 2020. Hmm. So here we are in 2020, and if their if their efforts have even increased it a, even a little bit, it hasn't shown up yet. Mm-mm. No, like it's supposed. I mean, you would supposedly see a couple of like, oh, surprise nominations mm-hmm. in there but you're not and i know that the the process still takes some time the way they did it they're giving people uh entry into the academy and it, you have to have a career uh from the past decade and you have to renew it every 10 years uh so so some of these old people who have not been in any movies for the last you know 20 years or whatever aren't supposed to be able to vote but that's still we're still four years into that so so there's a there's a lot of but it seems like to me that hollywood as as a whole they haven't figured this out like the people who are currently voting who all voted we need to be more diverse they're not doing that they're not showing that yeah uh when they're actually doing their voting and look there were some very strong contenders this year a lot of good acting performances, but I could name you probably five or six acting performances that, eh, you're giving them token per, you're, you're giving Al Pacino a token nomination. Yes. 
you're giving i i was i was actually shocked robert de niro didn't get nominated i was like oh i That's guess true i guess he'll get nominated too because they're giving the and it seems like everybody's stuck on certain movies that's the other problem that i see mm-hmm. joker got 11 nominations mm-hmm. uh fuck that mm-hmm. joker i mean did someone look, explain that when to we me. we watched when everybody watched Joker, did everybody go, wow, that is one of the best movies I have seen this year? People might have said that was good or even great. I don't know if I saw too many people who just said, this is fucking amazing. The only person that I knew of was Dave, uh, who did the, the mini pod. Right. Well, and the film's director. And the yeah. film's director. <laughs> that's for sure. But it got 11 nominations. The Irishman got 10 nominations. I believe, I believe the Irishman is the most token out of this entire group mm-hmm. like Which everything got, like joe pesci i can see him getting nominated yeah. i thought that performance was really good because it's so different from stuff that he's done before so understated so i was fine with him getting nominated but like everything else like best picture best screenplay all this i i, I was like we're we're just basically just wanting to give martin scorsese his due even mm-hmm. though he's got his due now yeah we just want to do this. These are all these are all token nominations. So I I don't want to hear people say, well, we can't just give out token nominations because that's what we're giving to white people all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. Because they've they've been like sitting here they they they've got some legendary career. We have to give them like that's why Meryl Streep's been nominated eight million times. Because yeah. she's Meryl Streep, yeah. Yeah. She it's gets like they token. feel like if we don't nominate her, we're take we're like we're putting a mark on her record uh, yeah. even though floris foster jenkins was aces yeah <laughs> i'm surprised uh specifically by apollo 11 not getting nominated yeah which well, i thought that was the best documentary of the year um which makes this i think the second either two out of three or two times in a row that what i thought was the best documentary didn't even get nominated mm-hmm. um and greta gerwig not getting a best director nomination yep. uh, really flummoxes me it surprises me well it's um, again you're making room for scorsese here yeah and scorsese and todd phillips and todd phillips of course yeah we and i mean that's the thing like it it it, it angers me that joker gets this much uh play but then like well if it's gonna get this much play of course all these other categories it's gonna take up room mm-hmm. and everything so nobody sits back and thinks well Maybe he didn't. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a tough one for me to if if objectively all these people in Hollywood love Joker, then there's not really much I can say about that. But the Irishman, man, come on. No. Nobody was hailing that as some like, oh, my God, Scorsese's still got it type of movie. I, I, everybody kind of liked it. I felt mm. like the same thing about Joker, though. Yeah, I think with Joker, I think part of the problem is a lot of these Academy members don't watch these movies mm-hmm. and so they might look at joker and and say well i can assume by what i've heard that joaquin phoenix's performance is amazing and that makes it an art film but it made over a billion dollars which makes it a studio film so let's nominate that yeah yeah um and you know again i said something to you guys a couple hours ago that you know the joker's one of the most well-made movies i can't fucking stand like yeah. its cinematography is great set design is amazing the acting is great it's not best picture no. It's not Best Picture no. nominee material. No. And, you know, I talked with Dicer a little bit yesterday saying, you know, maybe we maybe, maybe we have too many nominees because we had, you know, we had the, the Moonlight thing and the Green Book thing where they were both kind of surprise winners mm-hmm. when there were other quote unquote favorites people expected to win. Maybe we're, 
we're diluting all the votes and spreading them out to so many movies, and that's going to make Joker or Jojo Rabbit win or something weird. Well, Jojo Rabbit would be a pleasant surprise, I would think. Well, I I don't think any of the movies nominated for Best Picture are bad, right? Well, you you mean because Joker is a well well made movie, movie yeah, that, yeah, that I that don't, don't like. like. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't like Green Book. When I finally saw Green Book a few weeks ago, I was like, that was exactly what I expected. Mm. There's nothing groundbreaking about this movie. It should never have won Best Picture, but it did. Mm. I don't know if there's a movie like that in this group of nominees, but my point is 1917 is probably going to split votes with Marriage Stories, probably going to split votes with, you know, Irishmen, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to have some kind of winner that nobody really wants to win. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Seems to be the trend recently. And the the weirdness that uh you know parasite does get a lot of uh love and everything but they don't want to nominate the actors that are in it and there are at least two performances in parasite that could have gotten nominated absolutely but i think there's this whole idea for some reason they discount these performances for some reason because they're not in english because they're not in english and i and uh i i don't get it if you're if you're in that, if you're that much in love with parasite then you should have noticed that there were great acting um per, you know there's great performances in that movie um so i've always tried to come up with ways to make the oscars better the problem is they'll never do it uh because of some weird hang-up that they have about mm. certain things the oscars expanded the best picture category a few years ago because everybody started crying about the dark knight not getting nominated um they should definitely expand the acting categories. Sure. And I know this makes the telecast longer. I don't understand why they can't start this show an hour earlier. And do the tech awards. Do all the tech awards. Do all the do all the awards that people, the general public by and large, don't care about. And I'm sorry to tell that to people and say that some people don't care about your documentary short and all of that. But and they can watch it. They, yeah, if they started an hour early, it's on network TV. Started an hour. I know it's in California. I know it would start like you know around four o'clock or whatever. Uh, yeah. But who cares? Yeah, it's one hour. Yeah, and you can put all of these categories in there, and then you do your normal telecast without all the other stuff that takes up so much time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to, you can even throw like you always do. You always throw the audience a bone at the beginning and give that supporting actor supporting actress category. And then you start going on all the like so-called minor ones and everything. Just do it. at Do it an hour early. Get every, everybody has is sat down. They see it on the screen. Mm -hmm. You are recognized. You get the exact amount of adoration as you would have if it was at eight o'clock or Mm -hmm. whatever. I wish they would do that, and then they could just expand the categories where it seems like they're snubs every time. Why not have nine or ten people in that acting category? Well, it, it, the only time it takes is to read their name in the nominations, right? Yeah, and they and the clip, the clip which yeah. is like fifteen to twenty seconds. Somebody weeping uncontrollably. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> or never, shouting angrily. Eric, no, <laughs> and I never learned to read. Did you see what Bong Joon Hoo said about being nominated for Best Picture? I did not. 
I feel like it's Inception. Soon I'm going to wake up and realize this was all a dream, and I'm still in the middle of Parasite, and all the equipment is malfunctioning, and I see the catering truck on fire, and I'm wailing. Oh, that's great. <laughs> but right now, everything is great, and I'm happy. I want to I want to be friends with that guy. Like, yeah, too, no man. kidding. He's so awesome. Um, so, yeah. Uh, again, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I, I feel like, you know, if your performance was, was, was good enough to be nominated, which, you know, that's what the snubs are and everything you should be in there. And like I said, I'm not out to give like just somebody who just doesn't completely deserve it a, a nomination, mm-hmm. but you guys are constantly doing that. Yep. Academy is constantly giving, uh, praise to people who don't really honestly deserve it they've had their time they've had a lot al pacino was nominated now look al pacino was nominated eight or nine times before he finally won for Mm -hmm. sin of a woman so he's been recognized you don't need to like give this extra adulation over something in the irishman which i think is it's an okay performance it's Al Pacino. It's way Al Pacino overpronouncing his R's yeah. to sound like he's from the Midwest. The mm. the the movie is fine. It's just it, you again. You just want to be like, ah, I want to give Scorsese. Scorsese's such a legend. Yeah. I want to give that guy a nomination. Yep. And that's what happens with these things, man. There's no way that many people thought The Irishman was one of the top ten goddamn movies of the year. Is any of this, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to regret saying this, is any of this showering of love on Irishman some kind of subconscious response support for his quote-unquote bashing of superhero Marvel movies and the old Hollywood elite are like, yeah, those aren't films. We'll, we'll show them by propping this one Scorsese film up. I wish I wish I could say yes, but I think it's more about Scorsese and how everybody uh, just wants to suck con- his balls. Yeah, suck yeah. his balls. Even though before The Departed, before he won for The Departed, remember uh, Entertainment Weekly or Variety or one of those magazines used to have a we got a producer, we got an actor, and we got uh, somebody else who works in the film industry to tell us what they thought about the nominees. Mm. And they would tell the straight-up truth. In fact, way more truth than they should really ever, like, even anonymously talk about. Uh, but uh, they had uh, they had the, the one guy during The the Departed, there was one guy who said Scorsese isn't uh, particularly loved in this town. And I was trying to figure out if he meant producers hate him, studios hate him. Mm. Do surely actors don't hate him? Wouldn't think so. Surely, like people who actually do creative don't hate Martin Scorsese. Like maybe the studios do, and people above him hate him. But I didn't understand where that was coming from, and the it was sort of given as a reason why he had never won before. Uh, because he had had this great body of work where he lost a Robert Redford, like when he, when ordinary people was best yeah. picture and, and uh, he lost to uh, Kevin Costner when dances with wolves came out and all these times where like some masterpieces he made just somehow got beat by an actor doing a directing yeah. job. But I didn't understand that and everything, but he constantly gets nominated. This, this is, he is, he's gotten, he has received adulation <laughs> that he doesn't need it for this. Like, yeah. it, I suppose if he didn't get nominated, there would be people saying he got snubbed. But I feel like <laughs> if you put somebody else in his place, 
you would have been like, well, I don't know. Greta Gerwig did such a great job with Little Women. I don't know if I can push her out just to put Scorsese in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. They're trying to give these people, man. I just want to make sure that you're, you, you know, that you're adored, man. Yeah. Yep. Fuck them. So yep. anyway, fuck them. Um, are you uh, ever going to be on board? I don't think, Chris, you are. Are you ever going to be on board with saying fuck the Oscars? Like, I'm not even interested anymore. Because I'm seeing. I could see it happening. There, there's always that contingent after the nominations because somebody didn't like the nominations or whatever. Oscar So White was one of these things. On Twitter, I'm done with the Oscars. I'm I'm done forever. And I'm sure some of these people are actually following through for it. Do you think that would ever happen for you? It, it's going to take more than where we're at now because they're... I like seeing fine art recognized. Mm-hmm. And this is still, as fucked up as the Oscars are, this is the pinnacle of film awards. And mm. I don't... I like the idea of the Critics' Choice Awards eventually supplanting it, mm, but yeah. I don't know that I would ever stop watching a premiere, the premiere awards event of the season. Even if they get a bunch wrong, it still, it still counts, man. It still matters, and um, and you know, I just it still like, matters to you. Uh, I, 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 obviously, it still matters overall, but it still matters to you. Well, I would, yeah. Mm, I don't know if it matters that much to me anymore. Yeah. It still matters to the industry. It yeah. still it still impacts in very direct ways the kinds of movies that will be made in the next two three years and who will make them and who mm-hmm. will be in them. Um, and you know, I like to also be in the know. It'd be harder to make jokes on Cinema Sins if we didn't know who the best picture winner was. <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah. The uh, the other you know the other part of all this you know we we briefly mentioned Donna Diarmas and everything, but Knives Out itself was only nominated for the screenplay. Yep. That's insane. And uh he should have been nominated before Scorsese. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The 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 juggling act that Ryan Johnson has to do in Knives Out is is definitely I feel more than what Scorsese had to do. Again, we're not industry people and everything and you know in these things directors nominate directors. Actors nominate actors, so yeah. on and so forth. And then I think everybody votes on the remaining nominees. But that's that's a that's a fraternity slash sorority that everybody's like, you know, getting their buddies into the to the category, and it's just not right anymore. But Knives Out, if you've recognized the screenplay as one of the top ten screenplays that's go, that's going right now. Uh, in the that's one of the top ten movies right there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I guess there could be a screenplay that's so great, and then the movie itself didn't turn out to be all that good. No. The but, movie's even better than the screenplay. Yeah, but the movie is uh, is great, and like you know, Ana de Armas. I feel like Daniel Craig, even though he's hamming it up a lot, he could have mm-hmm. probably been nominated in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, m- maybe not really anybody else in there because everybody else is playing a, a tinier supporting yeah. role, but um god i I, it feels like you loved knives out but you just uh, we don't know what else we can nominate from this outstanding movie not certainly not the direction or the best picture or anything else that's Mm. in there just the screenplay Mm. uh Mm. so yeah uh that that's 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 all that's all i think they get (laughs) i think they get stuck on they get stuck on certain movies they get stuck on certain actors and they want to recognize them, and that's your awards, and that's unfortunately what happens every time. Yeah. Uh, does anybody have any uh, recommends and warrants? 
Totes Amaze Balls. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Ooh. I have some fun ones. Well, we'll add I'll I'll start with a recommend. Did you ever watch a show called Children's Hospital? I have seen episodes of it as a frequent purveyor of Adult Swim. Yeah. Did you ever see this? It's an Adult Swim show. Yeah, it's an Adult Swim show. It's uh, it's a uh, Paul Shear. It's um, Ken Marino. Yeah, Ken Marino and uh, uh, is it? It's um, Rob Cordry. Rob Cordry. Uh, Rob Rob Hubble is the main guy. Yeah, who used to be a Daily Show yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. And Aaron uh, Hayes. Aaron Hayes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And um and uh is Malin Ackerman on yes. that? Okay, yes. okay. Uh I have never been like a like a frequent conveyor or purveyor or whatever it is of uh Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Every time I've watched it, I've laughed my ass mm-hmm. off though. Paul Shear plays this uh, pediatrician that has like blood stains on his uh, scrubs constantly mm-hmm. and he's got a <laughs> like a mask and everything. But the comedy this is very wet, hot American summer. This is very David Wayne. Uh, and Jeremy, I think you would actually like it a lot. Hmm. Uh, it's set. It's very absurdist humor. It's very witty uh, wordplay. And uh, so Netflix just released uh, a, a show called Medical Police. And Medical Police is basically taking the characters from Children's Hospital and they're doctors and they're giving them guns and they're making them police members. And so that's the conceit is okay. that they're working at Children's Hospital. And, you know, the the, the main woman, Erin uh, Hayes, she's like, well, maybe I could dream larger. And then she starts uh, stumbling into this this uh, scary virus that may be spreading. And she wants to know the, 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 the source of it. And she goes to the CDC and she gets involved in this big plot. And all of a sudden she's in the medical police and she's got a gun and she's going to do all this stuff. It's fucking hilarious. It's fucking hilarious. I love it. I've seen one episode of this. It, I was running through Netflix one night <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, this looks insane and yeah. stupid. Yeah. So I pressed play on it. And then I suddenly realized, oh, my God, this is a children's hospital spinoff. <laughs> they tell you right off the bat. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was like, this is this is fun. Did you like that? Yeah. No. Oh, my God. There's a it, because there's the great conceit of Wet Hot American Summer is that some of it is grounded in reality where you can watch it as a traditional movie. And then they throw in stuff like the going into town sequence where like they they get drunk and they start smoking doobies and then they end up injecting themselves with heroin and then they come back and everything's fine again <laughs> and this is like this like there are elements of a real story being told here and then you know they'll cut to a sequence of her asking for a ride to the CDC and it'll be like no 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 hey you just asked me that already and then Malin Ackerman it cuts to her and she's like fuck you <laughs> It's stuff like that that just like this complete out of the blue humor. I am down with it. Is it, it only on Adult Swim? Well, it's on Netflix. This, this is, is on Netflix. On Netflix. This, oh. is a, this is a spinoff of Children's Hospital. Okay. Then and, uh, I think it's only on Netflix. Okay. Well, I, don't know, I can watch that. I have yeah, Netflix. yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you would like that. This is uh, David Wayne in this mode is like perfect entertainment for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, Rob Hubble actually is 
really fucking hilarious as a surgeon uh, he's a brain surgeon actually and he's he starts off with the scene where he's like boy i'm so good look i'm not even looking i'm not even looking oh, that's a, and then he's, he's he has to go somewhere and he's like all right grab bag and he throws the utensils up <laughs> he's like who wants it <laughs> and they race in trying to save this girl awesome oh, anyway it's a big recommend by the way i said i was a purveyor of uh of adult swim but that's a person who supplies or provides things to something so that was the wrong usage but i'm i, I think, did it too i think you knew what i meant in yes. my context that i watch adult swim mm-hmm. yes. anyway mm-hmm. but that's i just wanted to make that clear i mm-hmm. think i said conveyor and purveyor and i don't think either either one of them works <laughs> there's a surveyor yeah i'm a surveyor i'm go. a pervert yeah. um are we gonna do one round or more two rounds of recommends and let's warms? do two because I, I, I have to choose carefully if we're only doing one. Mm. I saw a movie the other day. <clears throat> do you mind if I go next? Go for it. I just jumped in front no, of you. you good. <laughs> called The Other Woman. Now, this movie, if you Google it, you're uh. going to get Kate Upton yeah. and... Uh, Cameron Diaz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, the, is that a is that an uh, Adam Sandler movie? No, uh, I was thinking of some other Adam. Sandler. No, but uh, Apatow's wife is in it too. Yeah, Leslie Mann, yeah. and that's the one where the Kate Upton steals uh, yeah. somebody's boyfriend. And then they go. Yeah, yeah. It's like the first it's wife. It's like Costa Waldo. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so that is not this movie. Okay, this other woman movie is uh, Natalie Portman and uh, Lisa Kudrow, uh, primarily. <clears throat> okay um this movie should have never been made i'm gonna tell you my experience i flip over i'm t- it's 10 minutes into the movie i missed the opening uh-huh. might be important doubt it and it's natalie portman and this little nine-year-old kid at a table and she's his stepmom and he says my buddy his dad sells stuff on ebay um to make money and we had that baby that died why don't we sell her crib on ebay to make money so that's how you, that's how I found out that Natalie Portman and her husband had had a baby that died three days after it was born. Right. Because this older child is like, why don't we sell that dead baby stuff? Which is pretty <laughs> insensitive. <laughs> yeah. Now the movie unfolds in this weird back and forth kind of, it's almost prestige-like in how it hops around time. But best I can figure, Lisa Kudrow was married to Dude. I'm just going to call him Dude. I don't know the actor's name. I don't remember <laughs> the character's name. <clears throat> and they had this little boy. It's William. And then Natalie Portman came to work with Dude. And they had an affair, broke up the marriage, and got married themselves, got pregnant, and the baby died three days later. Okay. Now, Lisa Kudrow is a straight-up hellfire bitch in this movie. <laughs> Everything she does is evil. <laughs> she teaches the William nine-year-old kid that the dead baby was never really a person under Jewish law because it wasn't alive long enough to actually qualify Bible-wise as a person. She does that because she knows the little boy is going to say those words bluntly to Natalie Portman who lost a baby, and she just wants to twist the knife. Oh, God. That's this movie in, in a nutshell. It's just everybody fighting and screaming and yelling, and nobody likes anybody. And like, um, you find out you find, find out towards the end, Natalie Portman says to her husband, oh, our baby didn't die at three years old. I smothered her, and I just never told you. Jesus. Oh. Uh, and I told you I found her in the bassinet when really I fell asleep with her in my arms and smothered her. And they break up. And at this point, you're like, is anything good going to happen to any of these people? Her dad, she's mad at her dad, because Natalie Portman is, because he cheated on mom with a $1,000 a night Russian stripper. <laughs> She tells everybody this. She tells everybody this loud, screaming in Central Park at an event for people who lost babies at, to SIDS. So there's hundreds of people around and she's screaming this. 
The little boy finds out his grandpa's a dickhead. Everything is everything is awful. Like I was used to joke about the movie My Life being the most depressing, unnecessary to make movie ever. That has been supplanted by this shit. And then in the very end, Lucy, Lisa Crudrow calls Natalie Portman and says, come to my office. And Natalie Portman doesn't want to do this. This woman is a bitch. She's yes. been nothing but yeah, nasty yeah. to her. But she goes. And, and, and she, the woman, Lisa Kudrow twists the knife a few more times. Um, says some things about her being a bad parent. She doesn't care about the little boy, William, yada, yada. Then she drops the bombshell. I consulted with my friend, who's a court-testifying babyologist, <laughs> looked at the autopsy and said, there's no way you smothered your baby. Your baby died of SIDS. You didn't kill your baby. Uh. And then Natalie Portman bursts into tears. Uh-huh. And then everything's better. She gets back together with a dude. Now, uh, Lisa Kudrow has a baby, and uh, everybody's happy. Everybody loves everything. What a weird, happy ending. I, the entire time I'm watching this movie, I'm just like, why would you make this? Why would you make this movie? Why would you even... Like, like Sucker Punch, I said this about, too, right? Like, why, mm-hmm. This is a movie about girls being horrifically abused in some kind of like medical fuck you factory yeah, yeah. escaping yeah. into dreams where they defeat monsters this is the most depressing shit ever yeah why would you make this yeah same thing here why uh. who now the only thing i can think is that whoever wrote this movie probably went through these exact circumstances and this was some kind of cathartic therapy to write it down but why somebody looked at that script and said we need to put 10 million dollars into this movie hire natalie portman and make this shit now because <laughs> it is just goes from sad to I hate the world. And oh then at the very God. end, tries to flip a switch. Like, ah, bagels. Everybody's happy. Um, so I've seen this movie. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> uh, Don Roos did it. And the uh, and he did. Uh, he directed a movie called Bounce. And he did another movie called The Opposite of Sex. which Gwyneth I, Paltrow and Bounce? Uh, yes. Ben, uh, ben, ben Affleck. Affleck. Uh, and the opposite of sex, which yeah, I uh, like, which Christina Ricci, I like that your movie. girlfriend, is in. That's right. Uh, the, She's vivacious in that. The uh, the the movie was originally called Love and Other Impossible Pursuits, and the reason why I saw this movie is that this was the movie that was filmed outside of my movie theater. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! Oh, in yeah. New York, right? In yeah, New York, yeah. I used to work at this uh, theater called the Atlas Park. Uh, eight it's a regal cinemas and they filmed a scene and that scene is in the movie um of them walking out of a movie her and her mom mm-hmm. and that's where that's my that's my theater oh wow and uh they were they're they're doing this talk whatever and yeah everything. and so i actually was looking for me in some of the shots because i was actually watching them, oh. watching natalie portman go back and forth in the in the like uh area uh that's right in front of the theater and everything and of course there was there was a guy there was a an usher that i knew who came out and started watching with me and everything and like yelled out hey natalie we love you and <laughs> fucked it up for everybody nice. <laughs> but uh because i was just sitting there silently watching and then like some dude comes up and he's like what do you think it's going to look like in the movie when you see people looking down? I was like, it's going to look like people looking down from a balcony. <laughs> uh, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I would, I would go and I'd start movies and then I'd have like 10 minutes and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go down and watch them shoot this movie and then would watch it for about 10 minutes or whatever. And then it'd come back up, start another movie huh. and then come back down and it was just shooting it like throughout the night and everything. Yeah. Movie's not very good, No, but it was, uh, that's the, uh, the sort of the, uh, the footnote for me on this. Cause I, I actually watched that. this, uh, probably I watched this two years ago, maybe because 
I was, I was just, it was one of those things where you're sitting around and you're like, wait a minute, what happened to that movie? And I went and looked through Natalie Portman's credits. Cause I was like, I remember this having a stupid name of some sort and it couldn't find it anywhere. And then I think I've like, I maybe remembered the stupid name, typed it into Google. And then it said, Oh, it's the other woman. And uh. then trying to find that bullshit, <laughs> you know, on- how does this shit happen? Because there is a movie called The Perfect Getaway, or A Perfect Getaway, with uh-huh. Steve Zahn. Uh-huh. There's a movie called The Getaway yeah. with, well, there was one with Steve McQueen and then one with Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a movie called Get- The Getaway with uh, with uh, Ethan Hawke and Selena Gomez I talked about oh, a few weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. There's a movie called The Getaway with Aaron Paul and Emily Ratajkowski where they go to Italy or some shit and a creepy <laughs> neighbor tries to kill them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like... Some bean counter somewhere, right, mm-hmm. says, well, nobody's going to care if the movie's called Life and Other Miserable blah blah we got to call it something that other uh, 12 other movies have already been called. Yeah. God it, damn. it makes no sense to me either. Like, I mean, you, ra- you might as well call it like, you know, just call it something absolutely insane. Yeah. And then maybe get people to at least remember the title. eBay the dead baby shit. That's what you should have called it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, yeah. it was the most depressing experience I've had in a long time. Um, Don't do not watch. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, that's the only reason I watched it. I was like, I wonder if any of that stuff made it into the movie. And sure enough, there was that that one scene where they come out walking out talking about <laughs> seeing a movie or whatever I was like huh hey, good movie huh yeah i was like oh shit that's the fucking movie. That's the theater in the back um i am going to recommend now i did not rewatch this movie all the way through it just happened to be on cable and i had it on while i was doing some other things but as i as it was on in the background i kept watching it and you know stopping and watching it for about 10 15 minute blocks sometimes and everything i've recommended at least in some way this movie before but cinderella man Oh, oh yeah, uh, Ron Howard's probably his second best movie he's ever made, mm. um, and I am actually very surprised at how high on the IMDb this thing is too. It's an eight point zero. Huh. Wow. Um, I know it's another boxing movie. I know that that sounds boring to some people because how much can you do with boxing movies? But this is one that's very performance driven. The boxing itself is pretty good too. Huh. But Russell Crowe, I had sort of forgotten this Russell Crowe that's in this that's in this movie. Uh. This this guy who's really going after it in his roles and everything. Like, cause now when you see Russell Crowe, he really is kind of just like he's just kind of there. He's he's skating on his reputation. It doesn't really yeah, feel even like even in the nice guys. Like he's he's great in that, but he's not. He's trying. just playing seventies gruff Russell Crowe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 this is Russell Crowe like at his fittest. Oh, yeah. You know, he's and he's playing uh, James Braddock. Uh, this is a this is an actual this is a biopic. Yeah. Um, they talk about it in quiz show. They do. They do. And if there was any reason like I would recommend that uh, this be an odd recommend for Jeremy if he hasn't seen Cinderella Man. Have you seen I have. Yeah, I saw when it, it came out. Um, it, it would be because they talked about all this in quiz show. <laughs> uh, but uh, the whole thing is leading up to uh, he Braddock is this is this fighter that you know he's not gonna he's not really getting much of a chance but giamatti paul giamatti plays this is his only oscar nomination mm. paul giamatti and he's fucking fantastic nice. in, this. in fact i was so used to him not being nominated that i for a minute i was sitting there watching it going i can't believe he didn't get nominated for this <laughs> show but um 
but G- Paul Giamatti is great. And Paul Giamatti is basically his promoter slash, uh, ring man guy. And, uh, and he's trying to get him to a title bout with Max Bear, who was played by Craig Bierko. And, wow. uh, that's and the buffest he's ever been. That too. is definitely the buffest <laughs> Craig Bierko's ever been. The 13th floor's Craig Bierko. <laughs> I was thinking Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, Craig exactly. Long Kiss Goodnight, Craig Bierko. But, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Craig Bierko. Exactly. Uh, the whole, the whole, uh, a uh, fight that's coming up is has this sort of um it has a, a i don't know i guess a pall over it because bear has actually been known to kill people in the ring he's got such a vicious uh punch and everything and there's even a point where bruce mcgill who i guess is playing the don king in this um bruce mcgill uh and whoever the famous promoter was back in this day uh, shows him a, a clip of Bear like fighting this guy, and he's like, and, and it shows Bear like giving a, just a vicious punch to this one dude. And he's like, well, now he, this guy was able to stand up through that. He was a really tough fighter. This guy who's fighting Bear, and he's like, then the second one killed him instantly. Mm. And uh, and so so the whole thing after that is 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 Braddock's going to uh, uh, basically say, look. I know what I'm signing up for. This is boxing. You're, tra- you're trying to tell me that boxing is a dangerous sport mm. is, w- is what this is. And of course it's leading up to this fantastic fight with him and bear. Mm. Uh, this is, this was a big highlight of 2005. Oh yeah. Uh, this movie was great. It didn't make that much money. I think it did a decent amount, but it didn't make nearly what it should have been. Should have also been, uh, showered with more nominations and things like that. Cause it was an extremely good movie. It's also, I don't know why this stuck out to me so much when I saw it and it's probably just lack of exposure, but the way it portrays the, Great Depression-like conditions that his family is living under. Because they got a bunch of kids, and they're living in this, like, shack that has cracks in the walls, and then all the kids are sharing the same wood beam yeah. for a bed. And just, it's, I remember coming out of it going, wow, those conditions suck balls. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, the, 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 the fight itself is great because they keep going. Like, you know, they have to go and show uh, what his wife, his wife is played by Renee Zellweger, and this who has just gotten nominated for judy uh she uh she's great in this watching her as she like she's like sort of like she's really worried about this fight but she has to listen to it on a radio oh yeah you know and every punch you can tell you can tell in her face like that could be the punch that could be the punch and then all of her kids like i think they're supposed to be in bed but i believe she knows how big of a fight this is and they're all in this basement listening to it on the radio mm. and they're just they're just all no no nobody's going like crazy like yeah or anything <laughs> like that they're all just they're all i hope dad survives this wow. i hope dad survives this yeah high recommends <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> mm-hmm. he survives this Yay! <laughs> yes all right guys it's time to talk about better help better yes help! yes better help uh, first off, before we do anything, I want to correct the record on the last time that we talked about, uh, this service in the context of, uh, suicide prevention, uh, suicide rates. It was pointed out to us and we confirmed suicide rates do not climb around the holidays, mm-hmm. at least in the U S um, they actually are 
towards their lowest, mm-hmm. uh, the, the lowest around November and December. This is a myth that has been perpetuated multiple times, and we accidentally contributed to it. We want to apologize for that. We were corrected ourselves um, and want to do so here. Uh, having said that, the the spirit in which our, we're, we're talking about mental illness uh, is is still present. We're still going to keep on with uh, spreading awareness, spreading awareness of the available treatments that are out there. Obviously, if you live in a populated city or something like that, you probably have access to multiple types of mental health counseling and things like that. But if you don't or if you're having trouble finding that or if you want something different, there's a service called BetterHelp.com, which is an online counseling service with thousands and thousands of licensed therapists that you can connect with via your home computer uh, and go to it and get all sorts of services for anxiety for anger, for stress, for depression, for addiction. They're, they even have LGBTQIA uh, specific counselors. Mm-hmm. Uh, this service is amazing. Uh, I've used it. Uh, one of our colleagues has used it. Um, it, it could not be easier. It's, it's spectacular uh, in, in terms of the accessibility, in terms of the response, the... <laughs> Leaned into that response. Response. <laughs> In terms of being able to uh, contact your provider, your your counselor as soon as you get matched, it's easy to do. It's really, really great. Yeah, and if you if you have barriers between you and therapy, some common ones are distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live way out in the middle of you know, Montana, and the nearest therapist is three and a half hours and over the mountains away. That's a legitimate thing that some people face. Not the specific Montana thing, obviously, but just distance to therapy. <laughs> uh, but then also, you know, if you are uncomfortable in spaces that aren't yours, that aren't your home base, that's not your cave, and if that if that makes you concerned with the idea of therapy, of leaving your home to going to some sterile office and, and waiting in a waiting room, this takes away all of those concerns. Mm-hmm. If you have uh, financial concerns or my insurance doesn't cover it, they have a button right there on the website where you can ask them mm-hmm. about the various ways that they can help mitigate some of the costs. Um, and uh, it's just a great service, and we're really, really pleased with it, and we hope that you'll check it out. Yeah. I was literally listening to an NPR uh, report about a week ago. Uh, that mentioned this one uh, mental health provider out in Minnesota, in a rural place in Minnesota, that he saw everything and he saw all the illnesses. Mm. And he was a specialist back before he retired. He actually retired to do this. And he's got a nurse that basically triple books him so that if there is a rare cancellation, somebody slides into that. Oh, wow. And he's having to cover all of these different illnesses. This is schizophrenia from minor depression. Like mm-hmm. that's there's a big chasm there. Uh, this is a, a situation in which those residents should try this service. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's so convenient. How, how everything is in within a counseling room. You can text your uh, your counselor. You can talk to him. You can video chat. You can audio chat. There's a ton of things that you can do. So go to BetterHelp.com uh, slash SINCAST, and you'll get 10% off your first month. It is not nothing, and I would encourage you to at least give it a try if you feel like you need it uh, for that first month. You can book for as as much frequency as you want to or as little frequency as you want to, but Go ahead and, and check in with your counselor first and see, you know, what you guys think is the best uh, avenue to attack any issues that you're having. Uh, it's it's a super service. Really, really uh, excited about it. Betterhelp.com slash Sincast. Go there now if you feel like you need help. And we love them. I have a record warrant. 
Let's hit it. Okay. Uh, and I, yeah, I didn't know what to expect with this movie, uh, but I caught scary stories to tell in the dark recently. Okay. Mm. Um, this is yeah. not a kids' movie, is it? No. It's like a horror movie. It, it, I'll tell you what it is. It's a movie that you don't see very often these days. It's a teenage movie about teenagers speaking in the way that teenagers talk, which is to say a lot of shits, a lot of goddams, a lot of cursing. Yeet. Do they say yeet? They say <laughs> nary, nary a yeet to be found because, surprisingly, this movie is set in 1968. Ah. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, I guess it's based on the the, the series of books that have been uh, pervasive for forever. Uh, maybe those I never read them. Maybe those were set in back. Were in they pervasive the 60s. or were they purveyors? <laughs> <laughs> they were pervasive either purveyors. Way. Yeah, either uh, way. But yeah, it's it's based on a very popular uh, book uh, book series from Alvin Schwartz. <clears throat> and I didn't know what to expect about this. You know, I I, uh, I didn't hear really anything about it when it came out. Like the best I heard was, yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Uh, so I watched it, and it's good. It It's mostly good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performance by the lead actress, uh, Zoe Coletti, Zoe Margaret Coletti, as she's known by now, is really, really good. She is, you could tell, a very, very good actress. She's given this movie a little more than it needs, though. Uh, and I don't want to pick on her because she's. I think she was 17 when she was filming this. Uh, and she's very, very good. I'm interested to see. She could have a very Sophia Lillis type of career. Um, they're both redheads. They're both precocious. They're both very talented, that kind of thing. Uh, but she anchors the movie. Uh, the rest of her, her buddies are kind of her losers club type of thing. And they're investigating, you know, these, uh, these disappearances, these deaths. So it's a combination. This was produced by Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. but it's not directed from it. But it has a very gear. <laughs> it has a very del Toro feel. Mm-hmm. It was directed by uh, Andre Erdal, yeah, that guy that has done other movies. Okay, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's done really well. The movie's pretty dark, like in tone, uh, but it's really well done. There are a couple of scares in here that are legitimately fucking scary. I would not want my tween to watch this, but like if you're a 17 year old looking for a movie about 17 year olds, which you don't see very often these mm-hmm. days, it's either the nostalgic Stranger Things and it, or it's, you know, adult fair or like college age or something like that. This is really good. This is right in your wheelhouse. Um, some legitimate scares, some really good CG, better CG. I think by far than it chapter two. Yeah. Um, and I know there was some really good stuff in it chapter two, especially with Pennywise, but man, this, this is a little more understated. There's one demon villain, whatever in particular that will freak you the fuck out. And it's, and it's done very, very well. Uh, so it's a record. It's, it ain't perfect. Uh, there's some stuff to pick on and stuff like that, but overall it's a good time. Mm-hmm. Scary stories to tell in the dark. All, All right. right. Kind of came and went to this year. Um, uh, birds or Howard Hughes? Birds. All right. Yeah. I watched a movie. Uh, my mom's a big birder. Uh, people uh-huh. who like to bird watch call themselves birders. Mm-hmm. Much like Star Trek fans call themselves Trekkers, not Trekkies. Mm-hmm. Is that you're, you're? Is that a joke? That's for real. They call themselves Trekkers. Yeah, not Trekkies. Trekkies was the name given to them by people who aren't fans. 
I never knew. Did you know that? Yeah. Even although, though there's a movie called Trekkies yeah. about Trek fans, it, it's it's not as divisive as it used to be. That's but. when that's when I first heard about that was when Trekkies came out. Uh, was that there was a difference between the two? Yeah. I didn't know. I always I think before that movie came out, I think I thought that Trekkers was for the next generation and trekkies was for the original or something like that but apparently yes trekkers don't like to be called trekkies trekkies is like the pejorative form of trekkers yeah i've learned something today uh hopefully that won't be the only thing you learn (laughs) um so my mom um has a, a life list for birds that uh she updates whenever she sees a new bird that she's oh, never seen yeah um she's excellent at spotting birds she came for thanksgiving and i'd been living in that house for a good while and she was spotting birds that i didn't know we had on the property <laughs> you're eating onions you're spotting dogs <laughs> <laughs> she, she just knows she knows where to look um and so i've grown up with probably much more bird knowledge than any one person should have if they don't care that much about birds i've heard you spot birds i before. like birds i was at the craft fair with my wife a month ago and some guy had a bunch of bird paintings and i was like not hatch blue bluebird uh, and the guy was like "Ooh, somebody knows his birds and i was like well like fucking common birds anyway uh, <laughs> I, 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 I wish you would say <laughs> so the common to me because my mom is obsessed so I, I caught this movie it's made a few years ago called the big year yeah steve martin owen wilson and jack black every single one of these mofos is Skating, skating <laughs> in this movie. This is a paycheck movie. This is like, oh, I did not enjoy this at all. Any one of these guys should make a movie watchable. Yes. Somehow putting all three of them in this movie with such a harmless concept as a bird watching competition, uh, it, it like negated all the funny, all of it. So the, the, the premise here is that that birders will sometimes do what's called a big year where they start in January 1st and they end December 31st. And the goal is to see as many species in the year as possible. Um, now, first of all, they made a competition movie out of what is largely an honor system thing. Yeah. Um, and the whole movie is basically all three of these guys thinking the other two are doing a big year, but everybody denying it because <laughs> for some reason you don't want people to know if you're doing a big year. <laughs> But also, they keep showing up at the same places all over the continent at the same times of year because the, I guess the high-end birders know that April 15th is when you see the you know yellow-bellied tanager in North Carolina, and then you can move down. To, I don't know. There's some kind of route that I guess you take, and they keep running into each other. Brian Dennehy is Jack Black's dad, makes fun of him for being a birder because that's what you do uh-huh. when you're a man. Uh-huh. Um, Gone Girl Evil Chick is Owen Wilson's wife, and she's Patty Lapone from State of Maine. She's just... Every time she's on screen, there's some new expensive renovation she's doing to the house while he's gone. And he's <laughs> talking about uh, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund, Rosamund Pike, Pike yeah. yes. Um, and I, I also have to admit, I stopped watching this movie about three fourths of the way through because it was really annoying. Oh my! Um, I love Steve Martin. Yeah, you're not going to find anybody who will defend Steve Martin as a comedian more than me. Uh-huh. But he's he's terrible here. He's not even lifting a finger none of them are um so i wanted to this is cheaper by the dozen to steve martin yes (laughs) or pink panther to steve martin yeah yeah um so that's a warn i would not watch this movie don't be sucked in by the the three leads who are all genuinely funny people but i wanted to give you a, a recommend 
about birding movies because okay. there is one okay. made uh, 2006, seven called A Birder's Guide to Everything. Uh, I've seen this twice. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee, yeah. uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. plays the son. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's the lead guy here. Ben Kingsley's in it. And basically he thinks he's found what was previously thought to be an extinct duck. Right. Um, and it, he and his friends skip town. They're all like 12. Uh, it's kind of a coming of age kind of deal. Uh, and they go looking for proof of the existence of this, I forget what it's called, black something duck. Uh, and it's it's quality. Lots of character actor faces you've seen. James LeGros in it. Um, and, and it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And so if you like birds and you want to watch a movie about people who do birding, yeah. watch that one. And give the big ear the finger. <laughs> I know of, and in fact, fairly recently on my Twitter timeline, I know of two fans of ours, followers of ours, that are, have birds. That own birds. That own birds. Oh, uh, Katya? Yes, she's one I, of them. She was bird sitting, but then I think that became permanent. Yeah. Because when she first had them, I thought she was just like watching them. But yeah, yeah. she's had them for like nine months. I can't imagine. Could Have you ever had a bird? Like as a no. pet? My nephew has birds, but no, I have not. Could you imagine living with a bird? No, it would drive me crazy. Me but, too. <laughs> but, but you say that, but you live with a dog. Yeah. A, a dog barking is not going to drive you any crazier than a bird chirping. Yeah, but I can cuddle with my yeah. dog. Well, that's true. Yeah. But you can also like, okay, so my nephew has birds, but he he has finches um, and he's, he teaches, Ooh, he's teaching them. Uh-huh. He could teach them tricks and they the, follow commands and certain whistles and so it's almost as much of an educational thing for him as it is he can't cuddle those birds well he could but they'd die that's interesting you can teach finches to do stuff pretty birds certain birds yeah <laughs> birds are smart as shit man huh. um right. and it's not like teaching him his abcs it's like you know <laughs> teaching him how to come to your finger and land on it <laughs> he's not gonna cure cancer in latin <laughs> <laughs> backwards latin <laughs> <laughs> uh since you brought up steve martin i'm i'm gonna avoid this other one this one that i was gonna do and just go ahead and because this has been on a lot recently and i'm not sure you may have recommended this one before but the spanish prisoner oh baby um mm. th- this is a movie that you either recommended in, a, in an older episode or whatever and it was one that i had never seen one of these David Mamets that I'd never Mammoth, seen. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I think the next week you brought in a DVD and said, "Here, watch this." <laughs> and uh, and so I did, and I loved it. And uh, but now it comes on one of these channels constantly, um, and every time it's on, I have to switch over to it. And and I feel like that movie is absurd oh yeah but it's so great and watchable um uh so the uh the spanish prisoner uh alludes to a kind of con um uh and i can't name the exact like wording of the spanish prisoner and everything but uh but uh campbell scott is this guy who works for this company and he's got this process this is the MacGuffin of the movie uh, this process that he's he's created under his company, Ben Gazzara plays his, his boss. Uh, and uh, the company is going to take this process and they're going to make tons of money off of it. Uh, Campbell Scott goes down to some Aruba yeah, or someplace country, like that. whatever, 
and um runs into steve martin steve martin is coming off of this like biplane on a on the on the sea or something and and uh, they strike up a conversation somehow and then as they start they start sort of building up a friendship steve martin starts saying well you know if you have something important for your company then the company is going probably going to try to do everything they can do to screw you out of this and you should be careful and you should get your own lawyer you shouldn't deal with their lawyer and all this there the company's lawyers played by jonathan katz oh Uh, really yeah um and um God, I can't remember seeing him in a movie before. Yeah, I and when you when you see him, you're like, whoa, <laughs> whoa! They actually put him in, and he, you know, his voice is you know, unmistakable. Right, right, right. Uh, but uh, he goes through a lot of this stuff, and then uh, Steve Martin says, "Well, I'll contact somebody for the FBI for you, like later on when uh, uh, he believes that someone is going to steal this process from him and everything." And, uh, so, uh, so all these people come, Ed O'Neill plays an FBI agent Ooh. in this, mm. uh, they're, um, um uh, going to jail soon. Fel- Felicity Huffman. Felicity Huffman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, she already went to jail. Yeah. Oh, she's already out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> went to jail recently. Yeah. I, I, and I think Felicity, it's, it's an interesting thing because I believe Mamet and William H. Macy are, are friends and I believe Macy and Huffman, uh, were married back then. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason you know there's all that connection she's in there and rebecca pigeon who is uh david mammoth's wife and mm. isn't everything that's been coming out the last 20 years uh plays uh a love interest to campbell scott in this uh in this thing and she's the one that seems to have all the uh seems to ground him and everything mm-hmm. during this thing when he takes it to the FBI and they and they and they're trying to figure out if somebody's going to steal this process, he has to bring the process with him, and uh, he has to give them give the you know he's you actually have to have to bring the process with you and all that, and and I'm I'm leaving some things out of here because there should be some things that you yeah. should you should watch on your own and everything. There's some really interesting things, but uh, he he gives the process to Ed O'Neill, this FBI guy. And he's supposed to wait for whoever's supposed to be stealing this. And then he waits and he waits and he waits and nobody shows up. Uh. And the one thing that he was given to hold on to the process during this whole thing isn't the process anymore. It's a bunch of blank pages. Uh. It's been stolen. And now he's got to figure out what happened. Oh, it's so... It's so it is absurd. Mm-hmm. But if you if you if you take the idea that this process, as they put forth in the movie, is potentially worth billions of dollars, mm-hmm. if not trillions of dollars, you could see somebody getting this elaborate in an attempt to steal it. Yeah. And Steve Martin is so that it's such a this is mammoth, basically, but it's such an old Hollywood way of talking. Like he comes off the biplane. Campbell Scott has just taken a picture with a disposable camera. And Steve Martin walks right up to him and says, I'll give you $1,000 for that camera. And Campbell Scott goes, well, why don't you just take the camera? Why don't I give it to you? You don't have to pay for it. And they're talking like they know each other. And this is their first meeting. Um, but everything that everybody except Campbell Scott says should be taken with a grain of salt. As you try and see how this all unravels, and unspools. I can't wait to see this. I know that you've recommended it before, but for whatever reason, I've just not. 
pull the trigger on it. But well, I probably didn't sell it as well as he did. <laughs> What's interesting is that in college or just after college, Josh and I went on a mammoth kick and there's an early mammoth movie called The Water Engine starring mm. William H. Macy. I think it was straight to HBO or straight to TV. And it's about a guy in the in the um, I just said it. The 1920s, 30s, uh, uh-huh. the, 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 the the Great Depression, mm-hmm. yeah. who has invented an engine that runs on water mm. and all the different people who try and steal it from him and take it from him oh, and trick really? him out of it. It's a very similar theme uh, to Spanish Prisoner. But yeah, nothing you see in Spanish Prisoner is what you're actually seeing until the end and you see it all and it's uh-huh. fantastic. And the, uh-huh. Yeah, the, the, the sort of the way that Campbell Scott is brought into this is brilliant when you come back. I mean, again, it's absurd. But it's also brilliant when you think about all the different things that happen where he has been lulled into this sort of trust. Uh, There are things that I think like a I feel like certain con artists wouldn't want to do or if if you're an aspiring con artist (laughs) and I and I and I tell everybody who's listening, please don't be a con artist. (laughs) But um, but there are things that are in this con that you would never expect a con artist to do. Yeah, he gets that, mad at him. Yeah, he gets mad at him at one point, and and there's a there's a whole thing about Campbell Scott. Uh, uh, he he Steve Martin gives Campbell Scott this book to give to his sister, and Campbell Scott goes and goes to this woman's like hotel or apartment or whatever, and says uh, and and leaves the book for her to get at some point. And then Campbell Scott thinks, oh, we're going to have lunch tomorrow and all this. And he goes up to meet Steve Martin, who's trying to buy this car, this like car that only rich people can buy. Yeah. And um, and Campbell Scott comes there and he's like, hey, what's up? And Steve Martin just looks at him like. Anyway, uh, you know, just and 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 then Campbell Scott wait, start, starts stewing and he st- stands outside and he's like, he's like. Uh, when Steve Martin finally starts coming down the stairs, he goes, he goes, I, I, I thought we were, we were going to lunch today. And he, and Steve Martin's like, no, I don't think so. Hmm. And yeah, he's like, I thought, I thought you said you were going to delete, uh, deliver that book to my sister. And he was like, well, the doorman wouldn't let me, but they have like a fight. Huh. But Steve Martin is trying to con this guy. And like Chris is saying, you, you would think a con man wouldn't do these things, huh. but it's also part of what lulls Campbell Scott's character into believing mm-hmm. this story is that there's a little friction in the beginning. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah and there, yeah, there's a whole argument about like, you, know, you were supposed to personally deliver the book. No, no. Uh, you said just get, just make sure she gets the book. And like, no, no, I'm sure I didn't say that. And then Martin comes back later and says, you were right. I was very wrong to say that about you. Yeah, I, I, we had a big misunderstanding. I'm sorry. Let's go to lunch. Ah. Mammoth's favorite thing. Go to lunch. Go to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, I'm sure Jeremy uh, recommended this in this very segment uh, before in the last couple of years, whenever yeah. we did it. But uh, it had been coming on enough. Uh, and I had just sort of forgotten to like, oh, we need to bring this movie back up because yep. it's a great movie. It is a great All movie. All right. The lesson is if Steve Martin is a con artist in your movie, it's going to be a good movie. Mm-hmm. But if he's a bird watcher, it's not. That, <laughs> yep. That's correct. There's probably a movie out there where he's a bird watcher and a con artist. Uh, yeah, and that movie's totally mediocre. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cancels each other out. Uh, we are uh, going to uh, revisit uh, a topic we've done, I think, twice before. Yep. Uh, called the heart of the movie. We've got heart. You got heart, kid. That thing in our chest. Yeah. Uh, where we try to pinpoint 
what we believe if you took this scene out of the movie it would be completely different and uh it is the the heart and soul of the movie i've been trying to get back (laughs) and not always in fact most times not the most famous scene or like the most uh you know obvious scene correct right uh can i go yeah yeah uh i am finally back up to you guys's level of uh the movie her so i saw her when it came out or or a little bit after it came out because it was on home video and i watched it late at night and i didn't pay attention i was moved by the visuals in Mm -hmm. particular in particular the colors in that movie Mm -hmm. really really amazing Uh, what i didn't know at the time because joaquin phoenix i guess he this was 2014 yeah 20 yeah i think it's 2014 but i saw the master after this after the first time i saw this so i hadn't seen joaquin phoenix it's 2013 2013 so yeah i hadn't seen joaquin phoenix in his full-on joaquin phoenix type of mode mm-hmm. which he's in now with joker and the master and with things like that funny thing about this movie even when he's down and depressed like he's a normal dude mm-hmm. in this in fact he's a personable dude in fact he's sometimes strikingly handsome in this movie mm-hmm. Uh, he's not the shriveled, like, you know, type of uh, mutant that he is in, in certain movies that he's done since then. Uh, but there's one, th- what I think is the crux of this movie, obviously it's about a guy that that grows to love his operating system, his AI-based operating system, voiced by Scarlett Johansson, who gives every bit as good of a vocal performance as she does in, like, Marriage Story. Yeah. She's terrific in this movie. Uh, but there's, there's one scene where he's getting over a breakup. He hasn't divorced his wife, but he's going to, he has just now gotten this, this OS system and he's getting to know, uh, the person behind or the AI behind it and everything. He's starting to have feelings for her, but mostly just platonic, like fun feelings. And so he gets set up on a date to go out with Olivia Wilde. Yeah. This is a very chef Jean Favreau type of thing where he's between Scarlett Johansson, mm-hmm. uh, Olivia Wilde, Amy and Amy Adams. Adams. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if only bit. he worked at Saturday Night Live, he could have gotten <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, he goes on this day, he gets set up with Olivia Wilde, and it's a little bit awkward at first, uh, but they end up drinking a lot and uh, having a good time. You can tell they're connecting. And then they go out and they start making out, like basically outside, right? And... There's many different ways. This is Spike Jones, so expect the unexpected with this. There's many different ways this scene could go, right? <laughs> Out of nowhere, they're kissing. She's like saying more tongue, less tongue, that kind of thing. They're getting along. And then she's like, you're not going to fuck me and leave me like the other guys, are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she drops all of the romance hoity-toity, like, hey, mm-hmm. let's hanky-panky type of thing. And she has gone like a switch has flipped. Yeah, and he's like, oh, yeah, the the you know Joaquin Phoenix thing, like what, what, what? And she's like, I need to know that I can expect something for from you, and that you're not just gonna fucking run and that kind of thing. And he just starts like fumbling through. She's like, when's the next time I'm gonna see you? And he's like, uh, uh. And then she says something insulting to him, and to, he's like. I'll walk you home. She's like, no. <laughs> she fucking storms off. I mean, I have never seen this woman look crazier in her entire yeah. career. He says something. Uh, uh, he says something very non-committal. Yeah. About what they're what they're going to do next, and she goes, "You're a really creepy dude." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're a really creepy dude. Yeah. He's like, "Well, let me walk you in." No, I don't yeah. want to. 
And so it's it's so weird because she was so enamored with him 12 seconds ago. Mm-hmm. And so she runs off. He's very confused. He's drunk as shit, too. Mm-hmm. This is a, a cornerstone of the movie. The next thing that he does is he goes home and he lays down in bed. And all of a sudden, just as a side thought, he puts the thing in his ear and it's Samantha, his operating system. And what you see in, in that part of the movie, this great movie, is that she, Olivia Wilde's character has almost nudged him, has, has given him the excuse that he needed to disconnect with humanity, at least romantically, and accept this OS as a viable option. There's a whole lot of things that goes into that, that that's a little bit creepy and a little bit weird when it comes to, you know, she's there whenever he wants, whenever he wants to call on her. She's comforting and listening when Olivia Wilde has real human emotions and, yeah, can go slightly crazy, especially when she's drunk. But that's the crux of the movie to me. That's the heart of the movie is that moment where he decides, and they end up having sex that night, sex mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, with the, the operating system. And I don't think that would have been something that would have happened that quickly had it not been for that experience with the Olivia right. Wilde character. That's a good point. Uh, that movie is, I don't think I'm as high on it as you guys, but I really, really love the ideas in that movie. Like, uh, I don't want to talk about the last 20 minutes of this movie. We should when we uh, do the best of the decade. Perhaps. I don't I don't really want to spoil it for anybody that may still go out and watch it, but it crushes me, man. Yeah. It crushes me. Yeah. It crushes you? Yeah. Oh, we need to talk about the last 20 minutes when we get to it later on. It exhilarates me. For her? Yes. Well, sure, but he's fucked. Oh, he's fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be fine. I'm, I'm interested to know what happens next. Uh, let's also talk about you mentioned Scarlett Johansson and uh, Olivia Wilde and uh, Amy Adams, but uh-huh. his ex is Rooney Mara. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's had a pretty good run. Mm-hmm. But you can also tell in this movie how he makes it. He's loquacious. And he's he writes from the heart. He writes greeting cards and everything. He's a great writer. You can tell he's brilliant. There are times when Spike Jones shoots him where he looks like the most handsome Hollywood leading man. Uh, up there with George Clooney, Cary Grant type of thing. So you can tell that this is, while a little bit, a little bit overreaching. Like this is possible for a dude like this to to land poontang. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow! Ah, ah, ah. Well, the times your gutter just chooses to show itself is <laughs> really surprising. <laughs> to be able to enter relationships with these beautiful women. That's nice. That's beautiful. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think the heart of the movie can be defined two ways. It's either the scene that if you took it out, the movie wouldn't be the same, which was how I conceived of it with Jaws and and the speech about the USS Indianapolis and Mm -hmm. everything. Uh, But I think it also could be uh, the the scene that sort of encapsulates the movie or makes the whole movie work. Sort of like what you're talking about here with Mm -hmm. like his his relationship jump in with the OS doesn't doesn't click and work that way if he doesn't have this scene with her. So I wanted to talk about the town. A Ben Affleck bank heist movie I've seen about 360 times. <laughs> um, and there's a great uh, flow through on uh, his mother. And when he's uh, dating Rebecca Hall, uh, you know, he won't show her his apartment. And he's kind of, you know, he's typical closed, emotionally male. And she's like, give me something. And he's like, all right, uh, you know, 
My mom disappeared when I was seven or whatever. He tells this whole story about coming out in his underoos and his dad sitting there with a cigarette ashing all the way down to his fingers, crying. Never heard a man cry before. It's actually a really touching monologue. Mm. And uh, he made these, I wanted to make these flyers. Somebody found my mom. They might return her like the person who found our dog. Um, to, <laughs> to, to this day, my dad will tell you he hung those signs up with me, but he didn't help. Uh, and it's a very touching little thing. And he talks about, you know, my, my grandma lived in Tangerine, Florida. I always assume maybe that's where my mom went. The point is, she didn't love me anymore. She didn't want to be my mother anymore. And so she left. So then later in the movie, he goes to visit his dad. Yeah. Chris Cooper, one of my favorite Chris Cooper performances no of all time. Shit. And his, he asks his dad, why didn't, why didn't you ever look for her? Why didn't you ever look for her? And he's like, who? Ma, why didn't you ever look for Ma? And he's like, oh, she was never good. And blah, she was never coming back. I, 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 I told you to make those flyers because I thought it would make you feel better. I didn't think you'd wear it like a disease. <laughs> um, and there's another wrinkle of the story with his mom, right? So then he decides, I'm not going to do this life anymore. We got a lot of heat. I've been arrested. Um, I'm going to back out of this last job. And tells Jeremy Renner they have this great argument on the street. Mm-hmm. You want to visit me? Come down, visit me. This is all just an excuse for me to do Ben Affleck impressions. <laughs> Come down and visit me in Florida. Um, and so then he goes to the florists, which is uh, Pete Postlewaite, to tell him, I'm not going to do your job. The florist is the guy that gets them all the jobs. And <laughs> he's trimming his roses. And without even looking up, he's like, you think I'm going to put Joe Flip ahead on this? <laughs> now, I'm not going to hire them without you. And I'm not hiring you without them. You're a unit. And Ben Affleck is like, look, I'm not going to do it. All due respect. Here's this wad of cash to help things move things over. And and he starts to turn and possibly goes, you're going to do what I ask. And Ben Affleck's face is like, Jesus, fuck, man. Come on. And then he goes, do you ever play the horses? (laughs) You know, there's two ways to geld a horse. You can do it with the scissors or the chemical. You can cut them or you can do it the chemical way. (laughs) When your daddy tried to go out on his own, I did him the chemical way. (laughs) I gave your mother a taste. Now she's doped up good. And then he says, your daddy didn't have the heart to tell you we were looking for a doped up, a suicide doper who was never coming home. And first of all, this is basically, Ben Affleck has no choice at this point. He's got to do the Boston uh, Red Sox job because this guy then threatens his girlfriend. Um, But this is also what frees Ben Affleck up completely from the concept of family like he's been holding on to this image of a mom that left that maybe he'll reconnect with maybe in tangerine florida maybe even my dad is an asshole even though he's still around there's this idea of mom right and the floors just ripped it away with the fucking truth which has to be impossible to hear yeah but that's what allows affleck to walk away from everything he walks away from renner he walks away from a life of crime he walks away from his girlfriend and, and from his dad too and goes to florida yeah and if it's not for this moment where he learns the real truth about his mom i think he still has a thread of hope for family yeah and that is what lets it all go my mom didn't didn't leave for this reason or this reason or this reason she she got doped up and killed herself yeah family sucks I'm yeah in it, i'm in it for me and and maybe that's not a great message but for the character i think he needed that push to be able to actually walk away from all of them. well yeah and then chris cooper I guess it's the second time that he goes to see him. He only goes once. He only goes once where he says, see you on the other side, because yeah. he's got a life sentence, right? Yeah. Uh, or is he being put to death or something no, like that? No, he's got a life sentence. He's got a life sentence. So there's no way he's ever going to get out. No possibility of parole right. or whatever. <laughs> and he just, he's devastating, man. He's hes not giving him an inch. Mm-hmm. He's not giving him any bit of, 
like comfort Mm-mm. or support Mm-mm. or anything like that. He's just saying, fuck off, go live your life. Yep. Uh, yeah, I love that. He <laughs> says, I got to die twice before I get out of here. I'll see you again. This side <laughs> or the other. Yeah, yeah. This side or the other. Was that, uh, that's, that was Apostle Thwaites' last performance, right? Uh, oh, I forgot he died. Yeah, he died, I think, right after that movie came out. He's so good in that movie. Yeah, he is. Oh, man, because Affleck, when he's trying to send him off, he's like, He's like, I'm not going to do the job. I live at 321 Terrace Street if you want to come down and talk to me about it. But then after he, after Postlewaite drops the bomb and he's like, uh, you know, I'll take care of your little girlfriend uh, or come see you now that I know where you live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And then the end sequence when he goes back is so fucking great. Oh, yeah. He yeah. was in a, a movie called Killing Bono or Killing Bono in 2011. That was his last one. Mm, interesting. I don't know what that, what that but is. it also could have been a movie that came out yeah. like they had it whole, they were holding it until it, you know, yeah. no, who knows? But, um, I, uh, I, I, how familiar are you guys with the natural? Um, been a while. I've not seen it probably as, twice. not as much as you, but enough. Right. This is a movie that, uh, probably watched as much as back to the future back in the day. Yeah. Um, but uh you re- remember at the beginning of this movie it shows Roy Hobbs as a kid uh learning how to pitch and his dad giving him all the encouragement and everything and uh and it's and it's told almost montage style the natural is a very like if you just st- stepped back and really broke down the natural you would notice how unusual of a movie it is Mm. and there are so many questions that you i mean so many questions at the end that you're going to have if you really dive into roy hobbs character and everything but um but the beginning of this movie starts basically montage essentially a Hmm. montage because it's uh him pitching and then um and then there's a there's a whole thing where he uh, he's uh, there's a he's looking outside and he sees his father die of a heart attack underneath this big tree and everything. But it's there's not really any it's not it's not really like uh, uh, telling a story conventionally at the very beginning. You know, it's just uh, basically it's like, let's get to him uh, getting on the train to Chicago and and uh, trying out for the Cubs. That's that's what we want to get to. But this there's a scene in the middle of this what I would call a montage, although it's probably not really a true montage, where his father dies, and I believe that is the heart of this movie. Mm. Um, mainly because from that point on, the lightning that strikes the tree, which his father would died died just under this tree. That's what he makes Wonder Boy out of. Mm. Um, uh, the the bat that he carries around with him at all times. Inspiration for uh, the song by Jack Black and Kyle Gass. Mm-hmm. Wonder Boy. Oh, really? Yeah. I did yep. not know. Yep. Oh, I was for a minute there. I was Don't like... take me seriously at all. I apologize. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, but, uh, he... Maybe it is. Because he does say, show me the secret of your power, doesn't he, in the song? Yes. Show me the secret of your power. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that's the the tree that his his uh, father died under. It gets struck by lightning. He 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 carves a bat out of it. Now, and this is the the interesting thing about Roy Hobbs to me in this movie is that he is an up and coming pitcher. He is he is going to be the best pitcher there is. He's thrown eight or nine no hitters. He's being shown to scouts. He's about to try out for the Cubs. 
And the moment in the natural that changes his life forever is that he runs into Barbara Hershey on a train and Barbara Hershey is for some reason, a woman who really likes to kill star sports players for some reason. And they don't know, of course he doesn't know that it's her, but they know that there's someone in the news that is killing, uh, killing, uh, like there was a, a football star or somebody like that. That's in the news for getting killed by this woman. Uh, and then it, it, the movie fast forwards to 20 years later, this guy was a can't miss prospect. Now he's, uh, uh, he's just been like wasting away in the minors and everything, really no real chance of getting to the majors at mm. all. This is another one of those weird things about the natural is, is, is that he is basically called up as a, as nearly a joke by this New York Knights baseball team. Because they're trying to lose. They're trying to move the team. They're trying to do all that stuff. And, um, and, uh, and, it, and, it, and it, I was sitting there going, was Roy, did Roy Hobbs suck in the <laughs> minor leagues? And then he got called to the majors and suddenly he becomes this guy who tears the cover off the ball, yeah. hits the scoreboard, you know, breaks the lights with all this, his batting prowess that he was a pitcher. Yeah. Now he's a batter. Yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those weird things about that movie I'll never get. Um, <laughs> But I, 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 I believe the death of his father, this, and it's, it's a tiny scene. It's, it's just the guy like keels over in the middle of this montage. But think about what would drive someone to, after 20 years, you know, it, this woman who has, sh this woman shoots him and his, you know, his career is basically over. And then he comes back and he's trying to get back into the majors now as a hitter, as an mm. outfielder and everything. What's driving him at this point? It's his father, I believe. Mm. And that's, that's the, the whole thing. And I think there's obviously, uh, because Wilford Brimley plays a manager called Pop Fisher yeah, in yeah. this, that it's another one of those things where Brimley has basically become his father mm. in this. And that's the reason why he keeps driving himself to do this. Why would you do that after getting shot and you've lost your shot? Mm. Um, uh, why would you keep on trying? Because you can't pit, he can't pitch anymore. And then he just becomes back as this awesome hitter. Yeah, apparently. And, and, and Wasn't then, there a guy in the major leagues that did the opposite? That went from like a batter and became a, an awesome pitcher. There's there have been a few who have tried that, but the person you're probably thinking about did the same thing. Rick Ankeel. Rick Ankeel. Yeah, yeah. Rick Ankeel mm -hmm. is the guy who was pitching. Was a pitcher and he was a can't miss guy, but then. During a playoff game, he threw like five or six wild pitches. Yeah. And from that point forward, he couldn't find the strike zone anymore. He basically had the yips yeah. and whatever. And then he sort of worked his way back as he was already a good hitter. Hmm. But, you know, pitchers don't ever get a chance to do that every day, except for this uh, Shoei Itani guy. Yeah. Who is a, who's hopefully next year will get a chance to do that on the regular uh, because he's been hurt. But, uh, but the, um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Rick and Keel came back as a decent batter. Mm. And, uh, even like it was funny, Rick and Keel played for the Cardinals as a pitcher. And, uh, and that playoff game was against the Braves and threw six wild pitches. Somehow the Braves lost that game. <laughs> uh, and then later on, as he reinvents himself, he comes back and then he gets traded to the Braves and he hits a big home run against the Giants in another playoff huh. series. <laughs> Who uh, was the guy that was the knuckleballer two, three years ago? I felt like he started as a batter. Tim then, Wakefield? Not, not Wakefield, but somebody who had like two, three years of success as a knuckleballer. I, I Roy Halladay? 
I remember Ooh, Willie Dolanik talking about him. I feel like he played for the Mets. Mm. Uh, man, I don't uh, know. I'm it, it, off track. it probably actually person exists, but I know that Mark Lemke for the Braves tried to do that. Hmm. Where he he was, uh, and he wasn't like the best of hitters or anything, but uh, there was a point where he was towards the end of his career. He decided uh, I'm going to try pitching and he mm. tried the knuckleball and everything but he didn't ever get called up to do mm. that anyway that's a like i said it's a small scene yeah. in the natural but i don't i, I don't know uh, again we're still i think somewhat defining this uh this heart of the movie thing uh if you took out that uh if you take out the fact that his father dies of a heart attack would the same thing probably not the same things probably don't happen mm -hmm. and i don't think he's as driven as he is yeah because by the end of it there glenn close is asking him why are you doing this because he's in the hospital they found the bullet that's in his stomach and it's tearing the lining of his stomach out and all this and he's like, why do you want to keep doing this everybody knows you're great and everything is like because because i want to walk down the street and somebody says there goes roy hobbs the best there ever was yeah. and Ooh. she's like and then what you know and but he can tell that he's he's still trying to impress his father from the grave. That's ah, what I've gotten from the nice, natural. nice. So, anyway, I, like it. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. I got one more. I got one more. You think uh, we need one more? Yeah. yeah, I think we need one more. I actually, one more. Have, I actually have three more, but I'll pick one. I also have a very very quick scene, and I think if you take it out, you could still have a passable movie. But I think it it makes it make a lot more sense in Gross Point Blank. Martin Blank starts off as the hitman. He has the quirky assistant. He has the uh, the 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 frightened psychiatrist, mm -hmm. and he goes back to his high school reunion in Gross Point, Michigan. Everybody that he meets there from that point on is a character of some kind. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Piven, his best friend from back in the day, even Debbie uh from uh from uh, his old girlfriend she's a character mm -hmm. the uh the the uh, security guy yep. is a character the f michael cudlitz character is mm -hmm. a character yeah. like even her dad like like everybody is just an exaggerated version in this kind of like hyper realistic uh situation certainly dan Aykroyd playing the rival hitman mm -hmm. is is wacky and crazy hank azaria and the other guy from uh from the fbi they're over the top <clears throat> And so he's navigating this kind of hyper-realized world of making a life turn. He wants to give this up. Uh, but before he does it, he's got to make the one last kill and everything. In fact, he's delaying opening the, the package uh, because, you know, I, I want to revel in my childhood a little mm -hmm. bit more. Make some, some changes, that kind of thing. <clears throat> I think there's one, one moment that actually makes him commit to those changes. So he goes to the reunion itself. He runs into Jeremy Piven, who's, uh, who's drinking a bunch. He, he runs into all of his old former uh, flings and all that stuff. And then he sits down for a second with an old friend, an old female friend that yeah. has a baby. Now, why she brought a baby to this place, I don't know. I think that's... Uh, oh, is, the sitter canceled. Is uh, is played by his sister and Cusack. Too, oh, really? I think. Oh, wow. Well, he's got this wonderful rapport with him. He's not... He's not interacting like he does with the the Michael Cudlitz character, where he's just like you know bullying and stuff like that, uh, or he's having sex with Minnie Driver or anything like that. He sits down and just has a conversation with her, and she's like, has to dig in the diaper bag or whatever. She sits the baby on his lap, and he has this look, and the, to the director's credit, uh, lets it pause for a second, 
and he does this like little head tilt and the baby does a little head tilt and he's just kind of realizing what a real life could look like. (laughs) And I think that motivates him to literally leave the entirety of all this behind and actually make (sighs) an appreciable change in his life. And it's very, very quick. But I love that moment because it's a breath. It's a breath in a very hyperkinetic movie where you're like, okay, this is actual real life that uh, that that he can latch on to. Mm-hmm. And I think without that, you don't get the full turn. Yeah, uh, I think you get the shenanigans and the antics at the end, but I don't think you get the emotional turn. And I think that's the heart of that movie. Yeah, mm. that uh, was not Ann Cusack, but she's in the movie. She, the, they're, the person that you're talking about has the kid, somebody else, but... Uh, it's uh, totally agreed, by the way. And this came on two days ago. Oh, really? Uh, was had it on and watched it again because I've seen this movie a million times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's totally right. I think that's absolutely right because, yeah. um, uh, because that part says I I really want to get to the point. And of course, right after that, right after this reunion stuff is when all that shit goes down. Yeah. And and then he finds out that his his uh his target was uh was, was her Debbie's dad. dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um and then there's a point where he goes to run and save them and he says uh he says yeah i had to come in either i had a you know i'm i'm uh i'm, I'm in love with your daughter or I have a new newfound appreciation for life <laughs> and uh dan Aykroyd then says that guy either loves that guy's daughter or he's got a new appreciation for life because <laughs> 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 they're chasing after him in the van and everything uh, it's funny because he's contracted even though he's had the fight with debbie she when she finds out what he does and everything even though he's been honest with everybody about what he does mm-hmm. uh and uh, you don't just kill people and uh so all that stuff goes goes by and i think he's still got this thing but he opens up the thing and it's her dad and he's like dumb fucking luck <laughs> yeah yeah like, yeah yeah you're right man dumb fucking luck and even that because he was going to do the job regardless i think but knowing that it was her, her dad i think he given this whole change of uh perspective that's good that that scene where they're in the cafe man is so funny to me that there's a they're they're sitting there having this standoff in the cafe they're about to order breakfast and everything and they're they're doing all this like you know this back and forth and the waitress comes over and is like um uh you know okay what do you want and everything and uh dan Aykroyd goes through this whole like complicated order while he's still staring yeah, at, yeah. at martin and everything and martin is like uh i want this and i want an egg white omelet and this and she goes what do you want in the omelet and it's like i don't want anything in the omelet he goes well that's technically not an omelet and he goes he goes he goes well i don't want to get into a semantic argument i just want the protein yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so then they're sitting there they keep on talking and talking and there's a point where the waitress is about to come back and dan Aykroyd has gotten to the elevated point of saying i'm gonna shoot a hole in your brain and fuck the brain off and the waitress is coming over he's <laughs> like that's some sexy talk big boy yeah <laughs> oh it's a good movie yes it is um i'm gonna go with tin cup <clears throat> oh nice love me some tin cup oh, oh oh this is a perfect example because there's an obvious choice for this right would be the the end yes yeah but i don't think that's it uh about two-thirds of the way through this movie, he started playing tournaments. He's decided he wants to go to the U.S. Open. And he's in the middle of a round, and he starts having a fight with Romeo, his caddy, who's... Uh, Cheech Marin. Keith Hernandez. <laughs> Cheech Marin. Cheech Marin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure sounded like Keith Hernandez to me. Keith um, Hernandez. <laughs> and... and <laughs> 
Cheech Marin. Romeo wants him to hit a certain club, yeah. and he doesn't want to. So he starts breaking his clubs. He breaks <laughs> all the clubs except his seven iron. He goes through this whole speech. Well, this uh, the. The one wood I sometimes top, and the three wood I sometimes I hit it on the nozzle, but the seven iron never lets me down. Plays Romeo walks off, plays the whole rest of the round with his goddamn seven iron. <laughs> and he's having beers with his buddies at the back of the course clubhouse, and he's regaling them with stories. Hey, what was my best shot of the day? Was it the seven iron on 13? Or the seven iron on 15? Or maybe that shot in on 16, which was a seven iron. And so then Don Johnson shows up, and Don Johnson is the hot shot PGA pro. And they don't like each other, and it ends up basically with uh, Roy, Tin Cup, challenging him. You know, one shot. Whoever goes farther wins with this seven iron right here. And Costner goes first and hits a seven iron like 225 yards. He even says like, nope, nipped it two two twenty two or whatever. That's longer than you should be able to hit a seven oh, yeah. iron. It's a fucking awesome shot. And Don Johnson says that was great. He gets ready to hit. And Roy is like, don't you want to take your jacket off? You want to do any warm ups, practice swings? He's like, no, I got it. And then turns 45 degrees and hits a ball God, down the goddamn road. <laughs> and it bounces and bounces and bounces and bounces. And you see Roy put his head over or his hand over his face as he realizes he just got played. This is the heart of Tin Cup. Yeah. He is a better golfer than almost everyone, but he's also stupider and more stubborn yeah. than almost any other golfer. And if you don't have this is really foreshadowing, I think, of the entire last sure. twenty minutes of the movie. Um and it informs all of that. If you don't have this scene you don't root for him at the end the right. way you do. You're yelling at him the way the announcers are. But because you already know who he is, at least subconsciously, you're like Rene Russo. You're like, fuck it, man. Just go for it. Just hit another ball. Just do it. I'm with you, buddy. Um, and so I think that is the heart of the movie. In one fell swoop, it shows you his raw talent and how much better he is, but how much his own brain gets in his own way and keeps him from being great. He's a yeah. bit of a butthole in this uh, movie. Oh, he's a rapscallion, yeah. um, but he's lovable. Whereas Don Johnson's just a butthole. He he's mean to old women and dogs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's it's worse a, than uh, Shooter McGavin. Well, I was about yes, to is. say, Happy Gilmore and Tin Cup came out the same year. Was it the crazy. same year? Yeah, they're very similar uh, in how they set up their villains. Yeah. And they're very similar in how the heroes are about things. They're both like need anger management and yeah and everything and uh they both have a you know an offbeat way of playing golf <laughs> although you know we've all been told if you've ever been to uh uh, uh top golf the uh the whole uh thing that uh happy gilmore does where he rears back and yeah you don't get any power that way well no. and you also get kicked out of top you golf get, you, get, you get kicked out of top golf as well <laughs> you can't run up um uh, but uh we did used to do that kind of shit in golf like in high school mm -hmm. would not the happy gilmore but like we would make up fucked up tee shots uh -huh. so like if it, if it was practice and maybe the coach wasn't there we'd all get on the first tee and everybody would take their driver and hit it left-handed or re mm -hmm. like reverse and whoever's went furthest would get like the honor and choose their foursome and what have you. Mm -hmm. we would have done the billy madison one had it already come out by then yeah yeah <laughs> billy madison i mean happy Gilmore. <laughs> they're the same <laughs> same fucking thing man. The same fucking you, thing. Can't, you can't make your first two major movies the name of your character and not expect me to well, fuck and, it up and all then show. he and then he like 
made his company Happy Madison. Yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, which reminds me, I saw Grandma's Boy the other day. Do you not like that? Movie? I don't think I've seen it. It's funny. <laughs> it is funny. It is funny. It is funny. Yeah, I yeah. used a, oh my God, I used an outtake from that. God damn it. What was it? Like, fuck your face or something like that? Oh, I, I, oh my yeah, God. Probably, yeah. That movie is special. That movie is a perfect midnight movie yeah, to throw on as you're going it's to sleep. Become, it's become that stoner uh, movie. Yes. Uh, and I remember I watched this randomly uh, at Hollywood 27, one of the prints that we had to watch. And I was like, oh, this is a stupid fucking movie. There's no <laughs> way this is going to be any good. And I laughed my ass off in it. Um, have you ever you've never seen it? No. Oh, I think Who's I, seen it? uh well the guy from uh It's Alan Covert who is uh um he's he's a he's a Oh, he's in all the Sandler movies. Yeah. I know who you're talking and, about. And uh there's uh like Doris Roberts plays his grandmother um and uh, uh Linda Cardellini is in it and <laughs> plays uh plays a video game executive. Okay. Uh and uh and Nick Sw- uh, Nick uh Swartzen, Swartzen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is in it as well but uh yeah it's one of those movies that you don't expect anything it's from funny. and it's funny as hell yeah i'll have to check it out uh, i i think you would like this because it's just it's insane and there's a scene in there that i still i still think about to this day uh just how funny it comes off because it's a it's a masturbation scene and you don't expect it to be as funny as it is but it ends up being like some <laughs> i'm surprised there's not more people going around yelling the shit that alan Cover does uh i by the way the guy i was trying to think of was r.a dickey who was a, yeah, a yeah, regular yeah. pitcher and then became a knuckleball pitcher after not having much success. yeah r.a dickey uh went to nba here okay so uh, that's why willie donk would talk about him on the radio yeah and he went local. to ut and then uh he had a he had a regular fastball but um he was a he was a decent like actual good pitcher with like a good fastball and everything but he was born without like something in his elbow that Mm. normally uh would be what gets strained on other pitchers for the tommy john surgery okay and he doesn't he didn't have that ligament and i think it was like after three or four years he uh just didn't have any bite on his fastball mm. and then uh oral hersheiser or somebody taught him you're right i think it was him yeah taught him the uh the knuckleball there you go All right. um i'm gonna go with apollo 13 jim lovell's algae story Ooh. um his algae story his algae this story is a, this is uh in an interview on tv right yep. fantastic scene. there's a point where it looks all lost for apollo 13 uh and of course his family is scared for him and uh this innocuous sort of scene comes up where they're watching television they're watching the news and they call up this interview that i guess either happened just before the launch or it was something else that they had on file uh or something and lovell talks about how as a fighter pilot or just a pilot i can't remember what he's he i think it's a i think he's in Maybe he's in World War II or he's in Korea or something. I can't remember what it is. But uh, he loses, like, everything on his plane. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, the lights go out on his plane. He doesn't have any navigation. All he has is a, is a flashlight. And... Um, and he says he turns on the flashlight and, get, and, all, and he, all, he doesn't have any... He doesn't know where to go. And all he has is just, like, ocean underneath. Him, right. Dark ocean. Yeah. And, uh, so he, he whips out a flashlight to look at some, some charts and everything, but he doesn't know where to go. But when he turns off the light, 
he notices that there's this row of algae basically leading him back to where he needs to go yeah yeah uh so hanks is so good in this uh of course uh, he's awesome in almost everything but like uh he that scene serves as a way of jim lovell telling his family you never know what's going to get you back home yeah and i'm not panicking you shouldn't panic either even though obviously he didn't do that interview for that right and everything but he's telling them like there are a number of things that can happen that gets me back and you shouldn't worry about it because uh because we have the best people and the best everything to try to get me back uh, I never looked at that scene that way before, really. Never looked at it as him him himself comforting his family, but that is exactly what's happening. Yep. He is being basically beamed into their living room, mm. essentially, uh, as this, as this, you know, as if he were able to call them himself and yeah. say this very thing. Look, I'd had a situation similar to this. And it just goes to show that he is the the best guy to be up there in this situation. Uh, he's going to be calm. He's going to say, "Look, we're we're going to exhaust every possibility to get back." And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm an expert. Chill out. <laughs> Chill the fuck out. R e l a x. Yeah, relax. <laughs> Keith Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> Who does this guy think he is? I'm Keith Hernandez. <laughs> you're uh, you're Ron Howard Heavy today. Yeah, yeah I am. You went heavy nice. on the Howard. Nice. Mm-hmm. Those well, are his two best movies. Yeah, let's talk about uh, uh, Far and Away. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let's no. talk about Silver Bullet. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny that you refer to it as the algae scene. It's absolutely that. But I couldn't place like what you meant by that yeah. in my head uh that's a great scene i love that movie i always man. say silver bullet it's not silver bullet that he did it's some other movie that he did uh silverado silver uh, fox no it's some other silver surfer uh, yeah silver surfer uh, but is it the getaway uh <laughs> yeah. no it's the perfect getaway ah, damn it. yeah I, uh what is i'm gonna Solo? i have to look this shit up damn it i always confuse this one movie that he did i think it's night shift night shift i always confuse night shift now i always think he did silver bullet yeah but it's uh he didn't do that well they're let's both. See, he did gung-ho let's talk about gung-ho <laughs> oh boy <laughs> let's talk was, about cocoon what was gung-ho huh uh, auto manufacturing yeah Michael this Keaton. is this is the one that i got confused when you said the dream team that one time oh and, yeah and i for some reason thought you were referring to gung-ho oh wow where he's an automat he's an auto manufacturer in mr mom yeah, as well. yeah yeah he's always playing these guys yeah. But yeah, Gung Ho is when uh, the Japanese company comes to buy their I guess they're in Detroit or yeah. something and and they have to they have to up production on these cars or else they get fired or something. Oh. I haven't seen it in forever, so I, I don't, don't think remember I've ever that seen that one. Um yeah, when a Japanese car company buys an American plant, the American liaison must mediate the clash of work attitudes between the foreign management and native labor. And I'm sure it's real sensitive too. <laughs> yeah, I bet I bet it's totally What was it, nineteen eighty eight or something uh, like that? Uh, it was eighty six. Races as fuck. Getty Watanabe is in it who, uh, who played uh, uh Long Duck Dong in uh sixteen oh, Gandalf. Definitely, definitely sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yikes. Well, that'll do it for uh, this week. Uh, keep going to Syncast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We also have a CinemaSins Twitter, uh, Music Video Sins Twitter. Uh, we're also on Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to the Reddit page and find a link there, or you can come to the private messages on Facebook, and I will give you a link 
there. And uh, you can go to SoundCloud, and uh, we also have a Patreon. Yeah, we do. Uh, go to uh, go to Patreon, and uh, we have a lot of uh, nice little perks if you want to to join us. You can yeah. get videos early. Yeah, you get videos early. You get to at a certain level, you get to hang out with us and Monthly. ask questions every month the biggest perk of all is coming in just a few months though that's oh, sin week yes and sin there week. are uh we are we are full up at our tier level but we are selling individual tickets mm-hmm. to sin week and we still have slots available if you go to our patreon page there should be something right at the top that tells you what you need to do to get yourself a ticket to sin week yes and it's still in the month of january we have an early bird special mm-hmm. if you want to get some early birds and you want to get a hundred dollars off your ticket Get it before the end of January. There you go. You can come to Nashville, Tennessee, the beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, the It City, as they call it, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, visit us, sit in on panels, go to a lot of fun events. We're planning some like epic fun events. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't make it to Sin Week in person, sign up at any tier, mm-hmm. and you get access to, listen to this, three bonus videos bonus that means three three sins videos the public will not see correct you can also have access to uh live streaming or watching it later with our live events with our live podcast uh q a sessions we're gonna be talking about the movie that we all watch together it's gonna be so much fun it was so much fun last year it's gonna be awesome this year yeah i agree it's gonna be awesome yeah 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 <laughs> uh but that'll do it for this week's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasends.com about that deviated septum person deviated septum somebody said i have a deviated septum so i can't help that i have to spit a lot sorry yeah that's like all right oh no he actually he finds it disgusting but he has a condition where he has to spit a bunch Uh, (laughs) this is a different guy different guy (laughs) excellent so am i supposed to believe that the people the random joe that's on the subway platform has to do it because of his health Mm, i i would not don't believe that don't believe it uh i didn't even know that deviated septum required spitting what, what's the deal with that yeah honestly <laughs> deviated septum is just a catch-all for when you don't want people to understand your medical problem you mm-hmm. say that yeah that's what it sounds like i can't get it up tonight honey i have a deviated septum yeah exactly exactly, exactly. average show on the street not gonna blink twice at that that's like normal, normal i mean you, do, you just don't question that <laughs> this is my old prospector mm-hmm. hey, ah, we love him ah, that's my uppercut you measly what did he call him in the buster scruggs you measly oh son of a donkey or something like no uh he calls him weasley Kerr. measly skunk or keeps calling him the same name over and over well again. time to watch that movie again i guess i guess <laughs> i want to watch that movie on your tv yeah yeah oh i bet it looks fucking i gorgeous. bet it looks fucking amazing yeah do you, I probably asked you this before, do you have the Netflix 4K? No, I, um, yeah, the, and I, I, when you asked me that the first time, I didn't even know that they had a special 4K yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thing, uh, but no, I haven't uh, gotten it yet, um, mainly because most of my Netflix watching, watching will happen up here, oh, upstairs. Yeah. I don't really go down there to watch Netflix a lot, but... 
I mean, I do watch. I mean, I do watch Disney Plus because it's the only place that I can get Disney other than my iPad and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That that TV down there is the only place I can watch Disney Plus. But um, and they're 4K. Some of it's 4K. Right? Uh, from what I can see, everything that they if you have a 4K TV, it just really. I think it does. Wow. I think it does. I'm either it's just. Like everything that I click on shows you whether it's 4K or if it has Dolby Atmos or any of that that stuff. So I'm assuming that when you click on that and your TV is capable of it, hmm. it plays it. Nice that way. Mandalorian looked pretty fucking amazing on yeah. that. On that mm-hmm. Have you watched that at all Mm-mm. yet? Mm-mm. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta get up in there. I'm like you. I don't have. I need to buy a new Blu-ray and TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. may just might as well go up to 4K. Might as well. Although it's expensive. Yeah, you can get some cheaper ones now, though. Really? Yeah, I mean, they may not be like the balls out, the best 4Ks, but I imagine even the worst 4K looks pretty damn amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So. Yeah, when I, you remember the first HD that you got? The first, what do you like? HD TV? Yeah, I still have it. It's uh, it's uh, that uh, that TV that's in my bedroom. Right oh, there. yeah? That's the first one I got. That one blew my mind. Like, I was just sitting there looking at it like, ah, oh. mm-hmm. I've been watching the, the world go by with, like, goggles. Yeah. <laughs> I was using, like, an old tube TV all the way up until, like, 2005. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a TV that I bought in college, big-ass thing that was impossible to move. <laughs> um, I had that probably all the way up until... <clears throat> 2000 ooh, talent i don't know 2008 2009 somewhere mm-hmm. in there it was a long time yeah, had it. yeah. yeah it was beautiful mm-hmm. it was a beautiful moment should we start yeah <laughs> <laughs>